Good morning. Welcome to Wake Up Carolina. Wednesday morning, May the 4th, 843-661-0937 is the number. one 866 not tell Mike to tell Ken is the other number. Good morning, Royal Rev of Radio. Good morning. So I get a text at about 445 this morning saying, um, hey, FYI, which is kind of a heads up, yeah. uh, no internet in the building. Mm-hmm. I get here. Uh, computer says no internet so you are correct <laughs> you're so welcome. far you're one for one <laughs> you're welcome uh, this morning rev mm-hmm. uh any any update i mean does it affect our listeners at all uh yes it does okay. and unfortunately the ones it will affect won't be able to hear us say this right now but uh <laughs> but uh the results it, uh, some storms moved through this area last night and uh and Obviously, we took some damage to some network equipment here. So uh, I think the Internet service is up in the building, but it's our routing system that has a problem. So that means that the streams for the radio stations are all down and uh, and our ability to feed this show to our other affiliate stations is down. So the people listening now, uh, the only way you can hear us is on 95.3. So this is the good old days. It really this is, is wake up Carolina. This is good morning PD in his infancy. Good morning PD. This is a this is throwback Wednesday. Yeah, <laughs> we're choosing to not take advantage of the uh, of the technological advancements and enhancements we've made uh, to this feeble attempt at radio brilliance. We're back in the uh, in the stone age yeah. of just broadcasting on. Uh, can we do just one hour? No, I'm kidding. Uh, <laughs> we should have come in at eight. <laughs> day. Yeah, come in at eight. Get off at nine uh, in the good old days. And even then, we couldn't fill an hour's worth of uh, of content. Hey, we'll do the best we can. But for those of you that can't hear us, um, you don't have any idea what we're talking about, but you're the ones that need to be notified uh, of why you can't hear us. I would expect a text here in the next few moments or a call, Mike. Um, tell Ken uh, the streamer's not working. Tell Ken we can't listen online because we have garnered a pretty significant audience online and we're proud of that mm-hmm. I mean, for you folks out there you know the the ratings and we are in a ratings period the ratings is so inexact i mean there's a methodology applied but but you, you can imagine we don't know how many of you are listening i mean we guesstimate to some degree but we the, think it's somewhere between millions and millions and millions well we're sure it's millions and millions <laughs> we just don't know if it's millions and millions and millions um but we can quantify who listens online. I mean, that, that is a defined and specific number. And, um, and we made a lot of progress in encouraging you out there uh, to participate in our online uh, ability. So, um, you know, for the ones that can't hear us, you're the ones that probably need to be hearing us. Mm-hmm. Um, news of the day. You ready? We'll get to you. Um, and, and by the way, I'm, I see that you brought your wireless device in here for your show prep. Well, I mean, you everything. gave me a heads up. Yeah, so that's why I did that. Well, I'm glad. I don't you, know if uh, my reading glasses are strong enough. I've got my iPad uh, here sitting on a coffee. But I do like the coffee can. That I got to get it up higher so I can see it, man. I can't see it. That's pretty clever. On the, uh, well, I mean, you know, figure it out. Your boy can survive. So says uh, Hank Jr. Uh, I guess the top news of the day in our world, or now let me back up in my world. I mean, it's still the Supreme Court. It's still what we refer to now as the Dobbs leak. Um, it's um, I think Newt Gingrich made a very interesting point yesterday because we had um, a kind of a four hour conversation, um, not specifically about abortion, but about the um, the decision of the Supreme Court, the um, the constitutionality of Roe v. Wade. Uh, Dr. Bolt, Dr. Coppin expressed themselves very eloquently, I felt, and um, despite some of the uh, disagreeable points. And it was kind of interesting to watch those two guys take exception with one another. You know, um, Kaufman came in with all that, you know, Talbot and, you know, the, the, the Jewish doctrine from 
many, many, many moons ago. Um, I spoke to a physician yesterday who reached out to me and said, hey, let, let me point you in a particular direction. Because at the end of the day, uh, let's do this before we do that, because this is real confusing. And um, and I'm more confused now than I was before my physician friend uh, reached out oh, really? to me and suggested I go down this road and explore um, but he basically said, I've heard you, I've heard you refer to yourself as having an affliction called busy head syndrome. I want you to go to Princeton.edu, uh, Princeton medical school. And I want you to read, um, kind of a work paper that they've done, um, about life and when does life begin? When does life originate from a medical biological, uh, very trained and, and, uh, informed perspective. And I did. And the more I read, uh, now I don't want to say the more confused because I understand it to some degree, but but certainly not um, as biologists would or medically trained professionals um, would. But before we go down that road about life beginning at fertilization, um, I want to go back and, and talk about J.D. Vance for a second because there's a lot to this. We've got a debate tomorrow night that includes someone who voted to impeach Donald Trump and someone who's been endorsed by Donald Trump. Now, Ken Richardson told you a couple of days ago, I'm the guy. Ken Richardson didn't impeach Trump. Ken Richardson's not been endorsed by Donald Trump, um, but he's convinced that, that he's the guy uh, most able to defeat um, Tom Rice, if indeed that's what the voters of this district um, choose as their uh, path forward. But I text last night with Kahaley, uh, just as the polls were closing in Ohio, and I said, you know, what, what, do, what do you think is going to happen? And he said, I stand by my numbers. In fact, I think Vance may overperform my numbers. He had J.D. Vance in the last poll at about 26.9%. Vance comes up at about 32%. He overperformed. Um, The biggest number last night to me was uh, a couple of numbers, and we tried to go there a little bit yesterday, and we're playing political scientist here for a second and campaign consultant for a second. But there was a lot to these two races. By that, I mean... You've got a very ordinary traditional Republican in Governor Mike DeWine. He's a good guy, but he's not a Trumpster. I mean, he's not one of these aggressive, in-your-face um, kind of guys. He's more of the um, the National Review is very comfortable with Mike DeWine. Apparently, the people of Indiana, excuse me, of Ohio, are very comfortable with Mike DeWine. But remember yesterday, Rev, I said the most interesting number to me in the DeWine race, and maybe the most interesting number out there to me, is can DeWine get to 50% or not? And he only got to about 47, 40, actually about 48, 47.8%. So let's round up and say 48%. He got 514,000 votes, but he had 532,000 votes cast against him with Blastone and Renacci. Um, if one of those two had gotten out of the race, it would have probably been uh, a dead heat. I mean, it really and truly would have. Uh, once again, 532,000 people voted against Governor Mike DeWine, um, 514,000. This is with 98% reporting, so there's still some stragglers out there, you know, some precincts that have not concluded uh, their, their electing or their, their election uh, wrap-up. But I thought that was a very interesting number. Now, now here's the other interesting number to me. Uh, the total number of Democrats who voted in Ohio yesterday are somewhere in the neighborhood of 510,000. Tim Ryan. Uh, I think he's a six-term, maybe an eight-term congressman. Now, now terms in, in Congress are two years, so that's about somewhere between uh, 16 years, thereabout. Uh, might be 10 terms, or might be 10 years. 
See, somewhere between 10 and 20 years, uh, but he's a, he's a staple in the Democrat Party. Uh, he's, a, he's a strong candidate. He's the best they can do in Ohio. Ohio could not have found a better Democrat to run than Tim Ryan. They had a total of 510,000 votes vote in that Democrat primary. In the Republican primary, where J.D. Vance got 32% of the vote, north of a million. So twice as many people voted in the Republican Mm -hmm. primary as voted in the Democrat primary. Now, it's expected when you have a hotly contested race that included Vance and Mandel and Dolan and Gibbons. I mean, these guys were well-funded. And then you've got, you know, the the novelty of Vance, the America First, uh, the Peter Thiel money. You would expect the Republican turnout to be significantly higher than Democrat turnout, but not twice as much. I mean, that, that, if I'm a Democrat, that scares the bejesus out of me this morning in a, in a swing state, which ain't real swingy anymore. I mean, I, I'm convinced that the America first version of Republican politics is popular in the Rust Belt. I mean, it's real popular in Ohio, your home state. Mm-hmm. So, um, so that's very encouraging to me. And, and I, I just, for the life of me, I mean, J.D. Vance is going to be the next senator from Ohio. I mean, Tim Ryan just simply cannot overcome the disadvantages that Joe Biden has laid on his doorsteps, whether it's of his making or not. So three years ago, I told you listeners out there who kind of scoff at some of the um, some of the nonsense I say, and you should. You absolutely should question uh, things I say over the airwaves. But I think I said about three years ago when I read the book Hillbilly Elegy, it was referred to me by a friend. He said, Ken, you'll enjoy this. You talk a lot about these sorts of things. This guy has a lot of uh, values that, that you relate to. He's from Appalachia, grew up in a poor, uh, you know, in kind of a poor town, rural America, um, went off to Yale. I didn't do that, but he went off to Yale, got highly educated, became a venture capitalist. At some point in time, crossed paths with Peter Thiel, and that probably gave him uh, much more financial security than he ever imagined he would have so he's a he's a uh, kind of a um a kid from Appalachia goes to Yale becomes highly educated crosses paths with a you know a Silicon Valley billionaire and out of that comes um, what I think is the most reputable spokesperson for America First in the Republican Party today I don't think it's close I mean I think DeSantis is the rising star I think DeSantis is today's superstar in the Republican Party. I think Donald Trump deserves a lot of credit for the um, the paradigm shifting that he's done, uh, the, the way politics in the Republican Party are conducted now. But I still believe that J.D. Vance is the most reputable voice in the America First movement today. And, and I think he has the chance to be um, a superstar within our, within our party. He's smart. He's a little bit fearless. I didn't say he's fearless. He's a little bit fearless. Um, he's guarded about how decent or indecent the the certain situation uh, requires. But it's a good day as far as I'm concerned in the America First movement because there's another um, very bright member that can relate in a way Trump never could. I don't know much about DeSantis' background. I know DeSantis went to Yale. I know DeSantis played on the baseball team. You know what that tells me? He's smart and he's competitive. I mean, those are two qualities and characteristics that I find very intriguing about anybody in politics. 
But yeah, Ron DeSantis, I think, is the star today. There's no question. I mean, Trump's still the 800-pound gorilla. I mean, did, would J.D. Vance win without the endorsement, do you think? I don't think he would. I, I, I don't think he would. I think Trump, I think J.D. impressed a, a lot of voters. I think J.D. was a, uh, J.D., I think J.D. Vance, <laughs> hey, J.D., yeah. uh, I, I think J.D. Vance was, um, was someone who was going to leave his mark, whether Trump endorsed or not. But yeah, when Trump endorsed, um, it solidified his appeal to that America First movement that Trump gets a lot of credit for. I mean, I've said this before, Rev. I would rather somebody else fly the flag for America First than Trump. But I wonder if they can fly it like he does. I mean, I do. I think a lot about that. I mean, I, th- I think it'd be a little bit like, um, hey, it's time we found another lead guitarist. This Keith Richards guy's getting old. <laughs> okay, take a chance with that if you'd like. <laughs> You know what I mean? Uh, Great point. Let me, uh, you, you see where I'm Rolling Stones without Mick Jagger. The, the I mean. ro- yeah, there you go. Hey, hey, um, Mick's getting old, man. Uh, it's time to find another front man. Okay, have at it. Good luck with that. Uh, the, and, and Trump is the Mick Jagger. He is the Keith Richards. He is the Bono. I mean, he's, he's the lead singer of this band. And the band's not the same if he's not there. But I think we've solidified a, a bench in other words, I think DeSantis, I think Van, I think we're doing exactly, we're probably doing it without even thinking it through, but I think we're doing exactly what we professed we needed to do uh, at the onset, and that is find a bench. You know, find some of these younger guys that, that are enthusiastically supporting uh, the, the new way we conduct politics. And you want to know what the new way we conduct politics is? It's in your face. I mean, it's the political blunt instrument. It's, you know, I think at some point in time, Rev, we've got to understand who we're dealing with here. And I think yesterday was an evident example of who we're dealing with. Um, and I'm talking about the, the the modern contemporary political left. I mean, it, it's a lot of the things that, that you know, we, we don't want to admit this. We, we want to, uh, and I go back to Thigpen, and, and God bless Dr. Thigpen for his desire to see a constructive, respectful um, debate on whatever the issues of our time are, the left has no interest in that. I mean, the left has absolutely no interest. The left takes no prisoners. The left will run over you, stomp on you, um, slit your throat, leave you for dead, and that's just the way they roll today, whether it's abortion, whether it's gay rights, whether it's spending, whether it's uh, Supreme Court leaks. It doesn't matter to them. They have no morals. They have no ethics. They have no integrity. Um, they're, they're a godless group of people. I'm not saying all, all every every Democrat's godless. I'm certainly not insinuating that. But but the contemporary political movement that is America's left lacks the integrity, uh, the, the virtue, uh, the, the reverence. They, they've done a good job of convincing the media that this Trump guy is so irreverent and indecent and undignified, when in fact they're the, the classic example of that. So I think when you find... Um, a a leader of a of a uh, opposition party that that'll get in their face, stand up against them. I mean, the Mitt Romneys of the world still believe that there's a chance, there's a chance that these Democrats will sit down and reason with you, even when they leak, you know, a, a, a draft opinion of a Supreme Court decision for political gain. I mean, let's be honest. That stop not stop believing that's something other than exactly that. I mean, it, it is exactly what we suspected it would be, and we're probably more sure now than we were yesterday morning. This has nothing to do with, with Roe v. Wade. This has everything to do with, with getting your attention off of inflation, 
getting your attention off of energy, getting your attention off of um, the debacle leaving Afghanistan. There's nothing they've done that has worked out like they said it would. So, so all of a sudden, let's let's politicize abortion. That's who we're dealing with, guys. I'm sorry. And I go back to the text I got yesterday who said, you know, I listen but hardly anymore because basically, you know, you pander to your listeners and you, well, I mean, I'm in the business, man. I mean, you know, what, what does anybody do? You pander to your customers. I mean, that's what you do. You engage your customers and you provide a service of which they have a desire for. I mean, what idiot doesn't understand the nature of that model? But but the person texted me after they took this, you know, kind of a, a pot shot. Yeah. You know, I, I listen, but not much mm-hmm. any longer. Um, and this in, in the last five minutes is why I don't listen. But the point the person made is uh, talking about abortion, that this is a difficult decision. Agree. Absolutely agree. There are strong arguments on both sides. Give me a strong argument for some of the um, some of the nonsense that you heard yesterday from the political left. I mean, this is the end of women's rights. We're going to begin segregating schools again. I mean, the, the, the silliness, the nonsense. But, but the reason it's silly and nonsensical is because the left has no moral compass. There is no dignity in what they do. There is no virtue in what they do. It's all about winning. And they'll stomp a hole in you as quick as look at you. That's just who we're dealing with. Trump realized that. Mitch McConnell still does not. Mitt Romney still does not. Karl Rove still does not. They believe out there somewhere awaits this fundamental debate about the, uh, you know, the, the importance and difficult decisions that we all have to make. No, no. The left will destroy you if given half a chance. The left will leak top secret information from the Supreme Court in the name of of helping them not lose as many seats in the political midterm. That's who we're dealing with. Trump realizes that. So what does Trump do? He takes them where they are. You want a street fight? I'll give you a street fight. And a certain percentage of our party find that undignified and indecent and lacks the reverence that we expect out of an American president. Okay, find you a reverent president. Find you a, a, a man of dignity and of couth and, and somebody who doesn't behave. And the left will destroy that person. The left will destroy the person trying to lead that movement. And that's why I think DeSantis is necessary. That's why I think Trump is obviously necessary. And I think J.D. Vance is one of these additions to this lineup, to this bench that makes the American movement even more, even more forceful in uh, changing the dynamic of the, um, of the Republican Party. Let's take a break. We'll be back in just a couple of minutes. A lively day in the studio. Wake up, Caroline, on this Wednesday morning. Uh, if you're just joining us, we had a lightning strike sometime overnight or early in the evening. Uh, we don't have our streaming up. We're not broadcasting in Sumter or Orangeburg. Um, it's like the good old days of Wake Up Carolina, excuse me, of Good Morning PD. When we first started out over the airwaves, uh, one station is all we have here. No app um, accessibility this morning. Uh, Dave Baker's not in the studio with me. He's back in the um, in the control room with all the, the gadgets and gizmos of which I know very little about. But um, but uh, Mike's doing the best he can fielding calls. We're getting a lot of calls from people. It's kind of a good and bad problem. The bad problem is we don't have a, an app up and running. The bad problem is we're not broadcasting in multiple markets. Uh, the good problem is you guys miss us, and you're letting us know about it, phone call after phone call after phone call. I want to hear some phone calls about what you think about um about jd vance winning in ohio 
about um, some of the debate we've had on the Dobbs leak. It's kind of referred to now officially as the Dobbs leak because it was the Dobbs case and the American political left lost its mind yesterday. You know, there's a little bit of um, there, there's a little bit of sadness that I share with the American political left. Imagine I mean, had a t- having Twitter at your disposal, being able to do with Twitter whatever you choose to do with a de facto digital town hall. Uh, all of a sudden, Elon Musk buys Twitter. Um, it's the he's a free speech absolutist, so no more censorship. You don't have that advantage, so you've got to deal with that. And then a couple of days later. Um, someone leaks that Roe v. Wade is going to be overturned. Yeah, so there's the um, so some of the um, some of the gems and prizes and jewels of the American political left. Roe v. Wade and Twitter are going to be probably. I mean, we don't know this because justices have changed their mind in days gone by. But it looks like with the um, Alito letter or the Alito leak, the draft opinion um, that Roe v. Wade is going by the wayside. And it's not that the justices are choosing whether to allow women to have abortions or not. They're delegating that authority to the proper authorities, that being state legislatures. So um, for those out there who say, you know, a woman will never have a right to choose again, and before you know it, they'll be rescinding the right of women to cast ballots in elections, and uh, they'll put the black children back in the black schools, and we'll segregate again. I mean, that's the nonsense. But that's the lack of integrity, the lack of virtue that the American political left deals with. Um, you know, Newt Gingrich tried to make a point last night, I think, or maybe the night before. There, there's a gray area where, you know, political leanings or political biases become mental insanity or mental illness. Mental illness becomes insanity. Uh, so there's kind of a sliding graph here of the contemporary liberal who likes Twitter to censor, who likes women to have third trimester abortions when the government pays for it. All of a sudden, they find out that Twitter's not going to censor any longer because we've got a free speech absolutist uh, purchasing Twitter. And then they find out that uh, Roe v. Wade, which has been the law of the land in however unconstitutional it was, it still was the law of the land. And we were um, obligated to abide by that court decision. Uh, and then you had the Casey case, Planned Parenthood Casey, which basically updated, revised, um, kept as law of the land Roe v. Wade. So the liberals are having a tough go of it in America today with um, losing the de facto town hall, digital town hall and Twitter, and being told that there's going to be a different um, way we address uh, abortion in this country. And that kind of leads down a very, very, very complicated and sophisticated debate. I want to go back yesterday. Um, it's kind of interesting. I'm going to note to myself in my phone, transcribed um, that note over to the uh, the sheet of paper. I'm still old-fashioned. I've got uh, handwritten notes everywhere. I've got articles written up, handwritten. Uh, I wear a pen out about or, or use a pen up about every month. But, um, you know, we talk about the Trump cultist and their role, you know, in politics in America today, the Trump cultist, you know, the, the cult of personality that is Donald Trump. When I think of the Trump cultist, um, I think of overturning Roe v. Wade. So the cultist overturned Roe v. Wade. How do the cultists overturn Roe v. Wade? Well, the Trump voters are cultists. If you listen to some of the um, some of the American political media or the left and some of the right, for that matter. Um, but the cultists gave you Gorsuch. The cultists gave you Kavanaugh. And the cultists gave you um, Barrett. Now, Alito's earned his stripes. There's no doubt about it. Uh, as much as I, uh, not deplore, but as much as I dislike a lot of the things the Bush administration, both Bush administrations, uh, left in the political wake uh, for the Republican Party to have to grapple and deal with. 
they did give us Judge Thomas and, and Judge Alito. Uh, I think 41 gave us Thomas and 43 gave us Alito. Uh, they also gave us Roberts. Uh, 43 gave us Roberts. So there's some, um, there's some concern that conservatives have with how committed Judge Roberts is to being a conservative justice. Um, but Gorsuch, and let's give Mitch McConnell a lot of credit. I give Mitch McConnell a hard time about being such a traditional, orthodox, um, status quo Republican. But Gorsuch is on the court because um, Mitch McConnell refused to allow, you know, a hearing, a confirmation hearing for um, for the current AG. And I'm trying to think of what is that? Merrick Garland. Yeah, Judge Garland was not allowed um, the the process that Barack Obama felt he deserved. So Mitch McConnell, in a in a rare moment of uh, of not doing things the way Washington historically has done things. Uh, McConnell stands tall. Trump gets an, uh, another appointment. So, you know, yeah, the cultists are responsible for overturning Roe v. Wade. And I want to read Alito's statement yesterday because I think it's very interesting. Uh, it was, it's been interpreted a lot of different ways by a lot of different member of the, members of the media. Um, but he's basically saying this is a constitutional issue. And his words are, the Constitution does not prohibit the citizens of each state from regulating or prohibiting abortion. Roe and Casey arrogated, which means assumed, that authority. We now overrule those decisions and return that authority to the people and their elected representatives. So that's the um, that's the tenor of the the dissenting. Excuse me, the um, the majority opinion. Now that's not the majority opinion. It's a it's a draft opinion by a justice who we believe is going to represent. Now I'm gonna read between the lines here for a second. I don't think Roberts is voting with Gorsuch, Kavanaugh, Barrett, Alito, and Thomas because as Chief Justice, if he were voting, if the 5-4 ruling was going to be 6-3, Roberts would want to draft that opinion. I mean, in a case as monumental as Roe v. Wade, you got to believe that if Roberts were in the majority, he would be the justice um, desiring to write uh, that opinion. We have a call? Okay, we don't have a call. 843-661-0937. I'll continually remind you of the issues we're having. We're not online because our streaming is down. Uh, we're not broadcasting in Sumter because our streaming is down. Our ability uh, to, to network, we're not broadcasting in Orangeburg for the same reason. So we have a, um, a much smaller universe of listeners this morning than we normally do. I don't know about much smaller. We have a smaller universe of listeners today than we normally do. Uh, Rev is not in here with me now. He's back in the uh, in the equipment room, in the computer room, uh, doing whatever he can to try and get us back on the air. And it's not just this station. We took a lightning hit um, sometime early evening last night. The lightning hit has scorched, uh, that's my word, scorched some of the computer technology that allows for us to get this show out to different places, and it ain't working this morning. So, um, yeah, for, for those calling Mike and he's answering the phone call, one after the other. I mean, it was, nobody's angry at anybody. We know if you can't hear us, you can't hear us, and you don't know why the signal is not working. But um, but that's why we had a lightning hit, and we've got um, we, we've got some confusion this morning that we normally don't have. Uh, but we still got you. We still got our, our normal, you know, our ninety-five point three listenership is still loud, proud, and strong. And um, and I'd love to hear from you on what you think about JD Vance. What you think about. Uh, the, the abortion issue, it really dominated 
the news yesterday. And to me, those are kind of the two, the new stories. And, um, and we'll probably, as the hours progress, uh, update over and over again on this J.D. Vance story. Because once again, I kind of wrote four names down this morning is who I thought about. You know, we're always talking about the Mount Rushmore of Clemson football, the Mount Rushmore of Gamecock football, the Mount Rushmore of rock and roll guitarists, the Mount Rushmore of rock and roll lead singers. I mean, it's kind of a fun game we play around here. Um, I had four names yesterday um, as it related to the Mount Rushmore of America first. And this is kind of a snapshot. I mean, things change, but I had, um, I had Ron DeSantis. Well, I had Donald Trump, obviously. I had Ron DeSantis, I had Tucker Carlson, and I had kind of an interesting figure listed here, and I think he would be offended uh, to be on this list, but he is right now, and that is Elon Musk. I mean, when Musk did what he did, um, he raised the dander of the American political left. He became public enemy number one. In fact, um, I think there should be a poll. Uh, who does the American political left hate more today, Donald Trump or Elon Musk? Um, because they hate anybody that creates conflict in their world, that they believe that their ideas are bulletproof, that their, their worldviews are irrefutable. And if you, uh, if you stand against that or stand in the way of them, you know, chasing this proverbial dream, that, that you're public enemy number one. So that was Trump for a long time. Um, I think DeSantis has accepted some of that um, or carries that mantle with a certain degree of, um, of pride. And, um, and now you've got, you know, Tucker does it every night for an hour on Fox News. As a, uh, and I can tell you the reason. I'm going to imagine the New York Times, I'm mean, the newspaper of record in America, does a three part essay on Tucker Carlson. I mean, just imagine that, guys. I mean, a guy that hosts an opinion show eight o'clock in the evening on Fox News is worthy. I mean, you've got you've got Hunter Biden laptop, you've got you know a leak at the Supreme Court, you've got Roe v. Wade being decided, but the New York Times decides to spend. I think they watched, I mean, I read where they watched or either um, read the transcript of 1,510 um, Tucker Carlson broadcast or times of which he addressed crowds. And um, so the New York Times is so committed to stopping America first because America first puts the power of government back in the hands of the normal average everyday people, not a nor- lot of normal average everyday people running the New York Times. I mean, these are very much insiders. These are elites. These are establishment figures. These are people who I uh, believe they are uh, the ones to put the chess pieces where the chess pieces must go. And Tucker kind of argues against that every single night. So instead of the New York Times, the newspaper of record, um, trying to reconcile some of the facts uh, of the Hunter Biden laptop or the Biden administration, they send a team of, uh, of reporters and journalists and researchers um, to do a deep dive on Tucker Carlson, actually a three-part essay, not not one edition, uh, three editions of the New York Times had um, disparaging things to say about Tucker Carlson because Tucker's highly effective. I mean, he 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 basically argues in uh, he gets in the left's face every night for an hour. Um, I would imagine if Limbaugh were alive. I mean, he would be categorized as someone that has to be dealt with. So when you're DeSantis, when you're Trump, um, when you're when you're Tucker Carlson, J.D. Vance will probably find this out. Um, you're someone that has to be dealt with. And Elon Musk never imagined in a million years um, the nature of which his decision or the, the decision he made would lead to the confrontations he's had. And I think he relishes these moments. I mean, I think he really enjoys 
the back and forth and some of the um some of the hostility aimed toward Elon Musk. But uh, yeah, v- very interesting uh, week or two or three for the American political left. You've got the de facto town hall, the de facto digital town hall Twitter, uh, just ready, willing, and able to do whatever it is you need it to do. That's changed. We know that's going to be fundamentally different. You've got, um, you know, Roe v. Wade, law of the land. You've got this pending decision out there somewhere. We find out yesterday with this draft opinion leak that that's going to change, and uh, and you're watching them melt down in full mode. But it's never their fault or their bad policies. It's always um, Tucker's fault. It's always Elon's fault. It's always Trump's fault. It's always DeSantis's fault. It's always talk radio's fault. Um, that they never fundamentally or introspectively c- kind of come to grips with what they believe and why they believe it and how that's perceived in the American public. Um, so yeah, rough week for the contemporary um, enlightened and woke American political left. And I love it. I mean, I love having Elon on our team. I have loving, I love having JD Vance on our team. I love having Ron DeSantis on our team, Donald Trump on our team, um, Rand Paul on our team. Um, let, let them defer to Pelosi and Schumer and Biden. Um, the, the only worthy adversary over there is, is Obama. I mean, Obama is a transformational political figure, uh, and he knows it. He absolutely knows it, and, and he knows that, you know, Pelosi's an old, feeble lady, Biden's an old, feeble man, um, somewhat of a dunce. I don't think Pelosi's a dunce. I mean, I think she's a, a five-star liberal, and I think she is in the winner, obviously, of her political life. But Biden is not only in cognitive decline and nearly 80 years old. I mean, he's a, kind of a lifelong dunce. He's never been the guy mistaken for the smartest person in the room. Let's take a break. 843-661-0937. We'll be back in just a minute. 843-661-0937. Kind of a programming note. We're having a lot of complications here this morning. Had a lightning strike sometime early evening yesterday. That is really goofed up. I mean, that's the best way I can explain it. Our internal um, networking system. Rev's trying to get the country music boys. That's what I refer to Mudflap and Palmer as on the air. I think he succeeded uh, there. He's been running around scurrying around the building. Uh, we can't pass off information from one computer to the next. Um, so when you're calling um, to let us know the streamer's not working, we know. I mean, you don't know that we know, but we know that we're not streaming this morning. We're not broadcasting in Sumter or Orangeburg, nor can you listen online. And we're actually not able to communicate from one studio to the next so uh, we're going to ask you to tell us who you are and where you're calling from. So we got a caller, if I'm not mistaken. Who is this and where are you calling from? Uh, this is Mike in Darlington. Hey, Mike, how are uh, you? I'm sorry you're having such a horrible technical difficulties. <laughs> I hope you can get that uh, get a little bit of lightning rods around the space. There you there. go. There yeah. you go. But uh, I, on this on this Supreme Court, I think it's just, well, it seems like. Um, there's a conspiracy or a coordinated attack on every institution that we depend on to keep our great country going. But uh, on the other hand, uh, I think that was the right ruling because 14th Amendment that have anything to do. It it was about the giving rights to uh, freed slaves and and that sort of thing, which needed to be done. I don't think it says a thing about abortion in the whole amendment. The uh, other issue is there's a great win for Trump. Uh, 
14 for 14, I, I think it is in Ohio. And uh, I think uh, they're going to try and get as much mileage as they can out of this abortion thing. But the abortion thing, it seems to me, hurts black people and uh, the most of any group in our, in our nation. Because uh, it, it's just a very, very sad thing, the number of abortions in, in that group. And I... Uh, I pray that things can be worked out, but we're in a serious situation because the price of fertilizer has gone out of sight. You think gas is high, fertilizer is high too, and and that that's, that that kind of thing has serious repercussion. And if you think you can get enough horse manure and cow manure and uh, Lord knows uh, pig manure out there to uh, grow the necessary crops, uh, you've got to. You've got a sad awakening coming at come harvest time. Um, I don't think that's been addressed how how uh, dangerous that is to run low on fertilizer during planting season. Thank you, Mike. Appreciate that. Well, I'll tell you, fertilizer usage globally is down 27%. Well, I mean, obviously the correlation, when there's a reduction in fertilizer use, you got to believe there's going to be a reduction in food production. I mean, that's just a start. And 27% is a big number, guys. 2.7% is enough to make a difference. When 27% less fertilizer is being used, you don't print food. We can print money for the monetary challenges. You can't print food, or I don't think you can. Take a break. Back in a minute. So this is kind of a good thing and a bad thing. The, The bad thing is we're not able to broadcast in our normal way. We, we had a lightning strike last night. Uh, early evening that has uh, just basically goofed up. I mean, I know that's real technical. It's goofed up everything uh, inside the building. The t- uh, the computers can't talk to one another. Uh, some of the networking isn't working. Uh, <laughs> Mike's not his head. He's answering the phone uh, one after the other after the other. So, so the bad thing is the computers aren't working. We can't stream. Uh, we're not broadcasting in multiple markets. But, but the good thing is you folks are calling in one after the other, after the other, after the other, um, telling us that you can't listen this morning. So it's good to be, it's good to be wanted. It's good to be, uh, it's good to be needed. And we wish but more than you do that we could um, broadcast in our usual way. We just can't uh, this morning. Sure. Yeah. And they're letting us know is, I mean, th- there's a chance we didn't know that something was wrong with the streaming and something's wrong with our, you know, broadcasting in Sumter and Orangeburg. Um, but, but it's kind of, it's gratifying. I mean, I'll, I'll level with you. It's gratifying to hear you folks call in, uh, one after the other, after the other, um, saying, Hey, I want to listen, but I can't, uh, this morning. Uh, it's, it's good to be wanted. It's good to be needed. It's good to be, um, it's good to know that there are people out there, um, that allow us to be a part of their lives each and every single morning. Speaking of a phone call, uh, we kind of keep our fingers crossed with the the way we're doing it now. I think we have a call on the uh, on the phone. Who is this and where are you calling from? It's Bert in Florence. Okay, Bert, good morning. How are you? I'm glad to be old and still have an actual radio in the house. Good deal, good deal. <laughs> I can still listen to you. You know, you know, and I've said many times, I don't have a problem with abortion you know, being available as long as they're paying for it and not demanding that the public pay for their abortions and whatnot. But 
I am happy to see that this thing may be reversed because I do think it's a state issue and that would allow people to live in states where, you know, the law suits them. So I, I hope it goes through. I really do. And, you know, that has nothing against abortion and whatnot because, you know, me, I think uh, to deny a woman an abortion is slavery. You know, that's how I view it. But I'm glad to see that this might happen. Thank you, Bert. Appreciate that. And the majority of opinions uh, have been about, you know, the one thing we can't define. And the one thing, I mean, I listened all day yesterday to a lot of different opinions, read a lot of different stories uh, from some people who know what they're talking about and some people like me that don't. Um, But nobody could um, define life. And, I mean, even some of the legal arguments made were um, understanding that we've not, you know, agreed. We don't have a consensus on when life begins. Mike and I had somewhat of a debate yesterday, uh, when does life begin? Um, I think life begins at conception, and I think life is a continuum. I think once conception takes place, um, that's the beginning of life, and life evolves. It um, it gets a little more comp- uh, sophisticated as it as it develops. Um, now, now, the courts are not deciding when life begins. Understand, I mean, a, a lot of people yesterday tried to say this is a this is a great moment for pro-lifers because the court sided uh, with life beginning. No, look, the courts didn't do any of that. The courts basically said, and this has been the argument for a period of time with conservatives, that the, the Roe v. Wade decision of the 70s lacked the constitutional underpinning, the, the constitutionality, and the states are the ones that are to regulate who can, cannot um, make available, make not available a woman having an abortion. And I think um, Alito's comments speak very candidly to that when he says the Constitution does not prohibit the citizens of each state from regulating or prohibiting abortion. Uh, Rowan Casey arrogated that authority. Um, that arrogates another word for assume. We now overrule those decisions and return that authority to the people and their elected representatives. Alito probably has a personal opinion. I mean, the courts are stacked with Catholics. Um, the majority of Catholics, people who practice Catholicism, are devoutly pro-life. I'm not saying they are, but the majority of, of Catholics are devoutly pro-life. Um, but he's not passing judgment on um, the morality or the virtue of abortion or not. He's basically saying that the the state delegations are who should be in charge of this issue. And, and I think he's exactly right. Now we leave that constitutional issue and, and we delve into the philosophical and the, the humanistic, and that is, you know, when does life begin? And I think there are a thousand people listening and have a thousand different opinions. Some are far more informed than others. But I was referred an article yesterday from a medical uh, professional, a friend about a doctor friend of mine, um, listens to the show and reached out to me yesterday and said, I'm going to send you something via email, and I want you to study it a little bit. And it's an article from Princeton.edu, um, and it's called uh, Life Begins at Fertilization. And it basically references um, or illustrates when and how the sciences change when new human life begins. And they've got a um, kind of a timeline here. It's got articles from, and it's got, you know, doctors. Uh, somebody wrote The Essentials for Human Embryology at the University of Toronto Med School in 1988. Um, a life before birth, uh, 
was written by someone at Oxford in 1996, an article in 1993, in 1982, in 1975, in 1976, in 1984, uh, in 1993. Uh, in other words, the, these are people who have devoted um, a large share of their life to understanding uh, biologically, scientifically, medically, when life begins. And it's very interesting, but because the timeline suggests that um, as we explore, as we uh, innovate, as we have technological breakthroughs, it, it appears to uh, it appears to us, and I'm talking about us, us, uh, we who trust the biological, scientific, and medical community to give us candid and honest information. We've questioned what Pfizer's up to and what the medical or the healthcare community, the political healthcare community has been up to. But I mean, it, it, it's, it's, it's the following references illustrate um, the fact that new human embryo, um, which is the starting point for human life, comes to existence uh, at some point in time. Now, now that there are some who believe that comes at the formation of this um, this one-celled zygote. Now, now I'm getting above or out of my pay grade or above my pay grade here. For a second, but I mean the the 1996. But I'll, I'll give you an excerpt. Development of the embryo begins at stage one when a sperm fertilizes. Uh, is it an oocyte? O o c y t e, and together they form a zygote. That's 1996. In 1988, human development begins after the union of male and female um, gametes uh, or germ cells during a process known as fertilization uh, conception. Fertilization is a sequence of events that begins with the contact of a sperm with a secondary ovum and ends with the fusion of their um, the haploid nuclei of the sperm and I mean in other words the mingling of the chromosomes to form a new cell. That's the University of Toronto, 1988. I mean there's been extensive research done in this and and as the as the timeline progresses to today, we've always we've never said life begins a little later than we thought it did. It's always been, wow, life begins a little earlier than we thought it did. And when you walk through these timelines, and once again, this is Princeton uh, Med School, and this is very, um, I, I think it's very objective, and, and, and it leads you down the road of, of kind of scratching your head saying, okay, I don't understand, um, you know, I don't understand what happens when this one cell, with the formation of this one cell zygote, but there's some that do. Uh, embryo, an organism in the earliest stage of development in a man, excuse me, in a woman from the time of conception to the end of the second month of the, uh, it goes on and on and on and on, 1997, 1987, 1975, uh, the cell formed by the union of the ovum and the sperm, uh, the common expression fertilized ovum referred to as the zy- I mean, it goes on and on and on and on, but, but the takeaway is in 1970, we thought life began here. In 2022, we believe life begins here. And here is a lot earlier, closer to conception uh, than we did think, than we thought or concluded in the mid-70s. Someone's on the phone? Let's go there. Who is this and where are you calling from? Uh, this is David, North Carolina. Hey, Dave, how are you? I'm good. Um, uh, I'm not going to argue when it began, when life begins. Um, I think everybody's missing the in fact, um, missing the uh, the, the uh, uh, point, the government has created a society of irresponsibility. They what they want to do is they want to uh, if I if I get 
pregnant, then my answer is I can have an abortion and the government pays for it. Or I can have the baby and the government pays for it. And that being said, um, you know, the frustration is that, um, you know, the whole thing comes back down to responsibility. These, these people are being irresponsible, and they're thinking they got a right to do what they want to do with other people's money. I, I mean, I, they do what they want to do, but don't make me pay for it. And But nobody wants to talk about responsibility. They just want to talk about, you know, abortion or not abortion. Let's go back to where it starts. Everybody knows how babies are created. Let's fix that. You can get birth control for free. You can get everything for free. But they don't want to do that. They just want to be responsible, and then they want the government to take care of their mistakes. Um, that's pretty much it. Thank you, sir. Appreciate that. And I, di- I don't disagree with any of that. Now, now I will take exception with, um, you know, what's the most important thing? The, to me, and this is me as, as, as a man of faith, the most important thing is not the constitutionality or not. I mean, I think that's important. The, the most important thing is not the responsibility or not. I think that's equally important. I think the constitutionality of the issue is important. The, the, the morality of the issue is important. Uh, the, the politics of the issue is important. As David just expressed, the responsibility or not is important. But I don't think anything's as important as whether or not we have determined we're killing human life. I mean, the government is endorsing the the destroying of human life. I mean, if we're doing that, that's more important than anything else. And second ain't close. I mean, that's just me as a man of faith. I get the political argument. I get the constitutional argument. I get the morality argument. I, I get whether people need to be more responsible or not, whether we need to abide by the Constitution or not. But I think the first thing we've got to decide as a people, as a nation, are we indeed destroying human life? Are we killing babies? I mean, I said that yesterday to be provocative. And when you read this Princeton um, accounting, and once again, these are very, very astute, biologically, medically, scientifically trained people. This is not a guy on the radio kind of scratching his head and trying to sort through things he's not sure of. These people are unbelievably informed. I didn't say they're sure, because I don't know that anybody is 100% sure they know exactly when life begins. Uh, but, but the majority of this report kind of concludes that uh, what I said yesterday is right, that conception uh, begins a continuum. And out of that continuum leads, uh, leads to a baby being born. Well, well I mean, if, 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 it, if it starts at conception and it's a continuum, there is no break in it being life or not. So, you know, the, the exception I'll take with um, anybody who calls and says the most important issue before uh, the people is the responsibility or the constitutionality. No, I think the most important thing we've got to conclude is how many of us believe that we're destroying human life? How many of us believe that government policy, government edict, whether it's state, whether it's federal, but we are condoning the taking of human life? But because I think the most interesting thing said yesterday on this show was when Dr. Bolt said and Dr. Coppin were kind of, I mean, it's kind of fun to watch two academics disagree with one another, take exception with one another. But Kaufman said, you know, this Supreme Court decision will be the first decision that he can remember that, that basically it lessens human rights. And, and, and Dr. Bolt said, well, unless you're the unborn embryo, the unborn baby, the fetus, um, you know, then it's expanding your rights. Somebody's protecting your rights. I mean, you're unborn, your innocent human life. I mean, that's what I believe. And once again, Mike and I would probably agree 99% of the time we have a little bit of a subtle disagreement here. I don't know if it's a disagreement as much as it is an uncertainty that we have one with another. Mike's not certain 
when life begins. I'm not certain when life begins. I don't know if anybody's certain when life begins. And, and what do you, I mean, is life, uh, we, now we're talking about personhood. You know, we're, we're, I, think, I think the left, personally, I think the left has given up on not believing they're, they're destroying human life. I mean, human life exists at conception. I'm convinced of that. And when I read this um, Life Begins at Fertilization report from Princeton Medical University, um, it convinces me even more so that I'm exactly right. But there is a responsibility argument. That There is a humanistic argument. There is a constitutional argument. All of those are important. I don't know which one's more important. I mean, if you're a constitutionalist, I would imagine the constitutional argument, if you're a person who's kind of, you know, big on morality and virtue and, and personal responsibility and independence, then I would imagine, um, you know, the government taking care of these issues is something paramount to you. But I still believe the central issue in all of this, and I didn't hear anybody go there yesterday, um, and, but this is mainly politicos who don't have the expertise or skill necessary to go there, but, but we've got to decide when does life begin? I mean, there is no settled science there. I don't care what Obama says about climate change. There is no settled science. I would imagine um, settled science about when life begins in the 70s was different than it was in the 80s. It's obvious because there's some of the, the quotes and comments here. Um, the the Harper Collins Illustrated Medical Dictionary in 1993. Um, uh, Oxford University Press in 1982. Um, the Medical Embryology Report, uh, University of Baltimore in 1975, um, the Scientific Enci- the, the Van Nostrand's Scientific e- e- Encyclopedia, uh, New York City, uh, the Langham's Medical Embryology Report, University of Toronto. Um, I mean, it's just over and over and over again. Uh, before we are born, essentials of embryology and birth defects, University of Philadelphia. I mean, there's been a lot of academic uh, and intelligentsia that is committed to try and find out exactly when life began. And we've had this national debate. I mean, I don't know if it's a global debate. I may try to look that up. I can't. We don't have any internet. But I may try to look some of that up on my on my iPad I brought with me this morning. Um, but, but you know, we've got uh, uh, Patton's Foundations of Embryology, 6th edition, uh, New York City University. Uh, I mean, it's just this report after report. It's quote after quote after quote. But, but the, the, the references basically illustrate, um, and I don't want to say the fact, but, but it, 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 it illustrates the belief that a new human embryo is the starting point of human life And that comes into existence with the formation of the one-celled zygote. We didn't believe that in the 70s. I mean, the medical community had no consensus of that in the 70s, that they're fairly well convinced now that that is indeed uh, real and the truth. And once again, I farmed out some of this to, to someone who, I didn't farm it out, he reached out to me and said, sounds to me like you're struggling. We're trying to understand uh, what I said. Of course I am. I mean, you know, I'm a guy who hosts a radio show. I'm a college dropout. I mean, who am I to be lecturing to, you know, to people over the airwaves about I'm certain that this is when life begins. It's a fact that life begins here. And he sends me this report and and it's an evolution. I mean, it's an evolution of thought. It's an evolution of um of the standards. In other words, there was a standard in the 70s. 
of um of when life began there's a very different standard in the 90s and an even you know more difficult standard excuse me a an even more complicated standard uh today 843-661-0937 is our number someone's on the phone who is this and where are you calling from this is joe calling from marion hey sir um, how are you doing good i hope you are doing well uh with the discussion about us defining life life is something that we can never neither grant nor create um the us discussing it is just more confusion and, and chaos rather than uh, acknowledging that we can neither create uh life um nor grant it um that is uh really just wanted to, to make a comment about that we're having discussion about something either we are unwilling to acknowledge um, or just won't commit to. These gray areas, either what we won't know or what don't know or what we will not acknowledge. Thank you, sir. Well, I, I okay. can certainly well, appreciate the call. I can certainly accept my limitations, but, but there, there are those out there who have um, broader horizons and, and less limitations than I do. When you read... Um, and you know, after I got this report, I began reading some other places of these people who have dedicated um, a lot of effort to try and better understand uh, the beginning of life, the concept of life. Yeah, I mean, I, you know, I'm a man of faith. I believe that every breath I take is a gift from God. The last breath I took, the next breath I take is simply because God in heaven allows me to take that last and next breath. I think that God that gives me the last and next breath is also the God that created life at the beginning. I think he controls life. Um, but I think he leaves it. I mean, there's some free will here. You know, there, there's some humanism involved in here. I think God puts us here. Uh, I, I don't want to say to try and figure out the, the, why he did things the way he did things. But I think when we, when we start debating whether or not abortion should be legal and under what circumstances abortion should be legal and what states and who makes that decision, I think the, the most important issue is to find out as much clarity as we can when life begins. I've accepted that I can't do it. I mean, I've accepted that nobody is sure about it. I mean, there are some that sound more sure than others, but there's a certain uncertainty that is always going to be a part of this debate. But, but I think to suggest that we all are equally qualified to explore that, that, that realm and try to discover, um, I, I think, no, I don't agree with that. I think there's some people who know a lot more about this than others, and those people should be um, listened to. Let's take a break. We'll be back in just a second. I'm flying solo this morning. My first mate is not in the studio with us. He's scurrying and scrambling and trying to get things back online. We do believe the app is working again um we've um uh, duct tape and some crazy glue and we've got the uh, the app back up and running so if you're in sumter orangeburg and can't listen over the terrestrial radio go to the app and um and you can listen there and thanks and i mean this sincerely it's uh it's it's encouraging i mean it's discouraging to get here this morning and have no internet i mean i've actually got a, a ipad here sitting on top of a coffee can to get it up high enough so i can see it without I mean, i've got reading glasses but the <laughs> down on the table i couldn't even read it uh, that far but so so we're we're um we're making do here but it's certainly encouraging to know that uh many of you took the time or take the time to listen to this feeble attempt at radio brilliance every morning and have inquired 
uh, this morning over and over and over again to Mike while we aren't over uh, on the air. So Rev's not with me this morning. He's out back trying to get this thing rigged up, and I think we're we're better than we were. Uh, what's the country song? I'm not as good as I once was, but I'm as good once as I uh, – okay, we're, we're, we're not as good as we once were, but we're better than we were at 6 o'clock this morning. So uh, just maybe, just maybe. And I think some of this, uh, Rev's told me, is um, – is farmed out. We have contracts with tech, uh, technology companies, and uh, it requires a, a repair man from their company to come out and make the necessary uh, repairs. So um, we're doing the best we can to try and uh, provide this month, excuse me, this daily service uh, that we do every single morning. 843 661 Yeah, I, I do. I want to go back to the other to the other debate. I do believe that the uh, the, the pinnacle issue, the most important issue is to decide, uh, and that's something you've got to do. You know, I, I still go back to the conversation Mike and I had yesterday. I mean, there was a subtle disagreement there, and Mike was playing devil's advocate in a weird way, trying to say, okay, you say these things, but let's apply these things to your life in a real-world setting. And and I, I readily admit that some of what I say um, that I, I, I don't know to be true, I believe to be true, um, if those things happen in my real life, I mean, I know it doesn't make sense to run 80 miles an hour down the road, but, but occasionally I do, um, life. I'm not saying I'm not, I'm not, you know, saying it, I have an excuse to do it. I'm certainly not insinuating that, but, but life kind of creates certain dilemmas and you, they're normally self-inflicted. They're normally things I didn't do or did and should have done differently. Um, but when you're 15 minutes behind, you got to be somewhere um yeah what we drive faster than we should um so so there's always this real world that we live in uh we have this philosophical bent about us um all of us do to some degree more than others some more than others but we all have these these philosophical contests within ourselves um i believe this why i don't believe that why and but but then the the application of those philosophies or strong held beliefs um I mean, if, if, you know, if people acted upon what they knew to be right and wrong, there'd be a third of the number of people in prison and the arrest reports would not be anywhere near as um, significant as they are. But, but we have this humanistic quality about us that the free will, I mean, it'd be a bit, bit of a person of faith again. Uh, the free will is a son of a gun. I mean, it allows us to make uh, some of these decisions. And, um, but, but the point I'm trying to make. And I think we've um, k- kind of made this point fairly um, concisely is we're not outlawing abortions. I think the world is better if nobody has an abortion. I understand that that's unrealistic. I understand that we're going to have abortions. I understand that California is probably going to have more liberal abortion policies than South Carolina. I understand that, that New York is probably going to have more liberal abortion policies than Texas. I mean, that's just the nature of the, uh, I don't know, the, the DNA of the state. South Carolina is a fairly conservative state. Um, if you polled South Carolinians, uh, the majority would probably believe life begins at conception. I don't know that they would understand why they believe that, but they would probably believe if you polled people in California, a much smaller percentage would believe that life begins at conception. They would go down the word of a, the word parent personhood would probably be a big part of this uh, viability and sustainability and all those other sorts of things. And I think that's what the court has ruled that, you know, the, the, the federalist papers and, and federalism in general 
defers those responsibilities and, and authorities to, to state governments. And that's what Roe v. Wade always lacked. From my humble opinion, I think it's a fair debate to have. Uh, I don't think it's a woman re- a women reproductive issue. I think it's a, a life issue. And when I hear the left yesterday over and over again, you know, the, um, the raging madness of white male Republicans trying to tell females, especially a minority, uh, what, what they can and cannot do with their body, that's an absurd argument. I mean, to be honest with you, you're, you're, you know, a 28-year-old female making a decision, I have very little interest in that decision. My interest is far more in that unborn baby. I mean, how do we protect that innocent life? That's where my interest lies. That's where my emotion is generated. Um, I mean, I care about my fellow man. Of course I do. But the 28-year-old female who got pregnant doesn't want to have the baby, she's not my priority. She's not my major concern. Her reproductive rights, um, her ability to decide her fate and future, um, my priority is that unborn child. And I've convinced myself, maybe you have, maybe you have not, I've convinced myself that that is human life and that human life is precious in God's eyes. And whatever we can do to protect that unborn life, we need to do. And I'm proud that South Carolina has been uh, one of the states that has aggressively pursued policy that does protect innocent human life. So, so when, when a liberal tells me as a white male conservative that my motivations are to disallow a woman from making these decisions on her behalf, that is very secondary to me, completely and totally secondary to me. My priority is that unborn life. How do we protect that innocent unborn life now, now some would disagree and some would say well it's not really life it's not really uh we're talking about personhood and that's where the debate gets very convoluted and very complicated uh 843-661-0937 is our number or one eight six six tell ken that we're gonna cut you some slack today because we get a lot of calls uh telling mike that we're not over the air we know we're not on the air we do believe we're back streaming as we speak and i got a text confirming that a second ago from one of our good streaming listeners in um in our state to the north. Uh let's go to the phone. Who is this and where are you calling from? Hey Ken, this is Rujan. Hey Rujan. Uh, uh, listen, listen, I I, I think uh, I guess I got a little bit different take on this on the whole thing with the leaking of the draft. You know, for years and years the Democrats have uh figured out Margaret Singer's dream of, of uh taking care of the Negro problem. And one of that is to control their population by killing black babies in the womb. The other one was to uh, ensure that um, they killed their minds or made their minds pretty much nullify their minds by uh, giving them substandard educations. And uh, the third way is by giving them money and telling them that, hey, it's, not, it's okay for a daddy not to be in the house. And I'm looking at this uh, this is this, this draft, and if it, if it is the opinion of the court that Roe is un- unconstitutional, it's the first step of black people taking their lives back and the first step of black people taking their communities back and the first step of tearing down that, that stranglehold that the Democrat Party has on the African-American uh, community uh, and the, the African-American liberal community. And uh, I think it's a good thing. I think it's a travesty that whomever uh, leaked this thing, um, uh, that they did it, I think they should be prosecuted to the fullest extent of the law and their legal career should be uh, essentially done over with, and that's it. Um, and I'm watching some of the some of the double standards that the uh, that the, that the left has. 
you know, they called it an insurrection when, when you know, pro- people protested outside of the Capitol, yet they say nothing when people are protesting outside of the Supreme Court and attacking people, attacking law office, law enforcement officers. And then it's just, it's just uh, you know, hypocritical. So I, I applaud it if it's true. Uh, if it's not true, they're going to keep fighting for abortion, you know, for abortion, uh, uh, against abortion, that is. Uh, and for the right of the life and the baby, because I've seen the the community that has been most devastated are those black and brown communities. You know, the American, the, the African American community, uh, community. If those babies had been born, they would definitely be the largest minority in the United States today. So that's just a little bit different take on it. But but I I, I, I applaud it. I applaud the decision. Uh, so uh, it's going to be a fight still, but. But that's that's kind of the way it looks for me. Thank you, Rujan. Appreciate it. There will still be a fight because there will be another repeal. I mean, think about this, guys. Um, the state of California will pass very liberal abortion laws. Somebody in California will take exception with those laws, and they'll challenge that. They'll litigate it. It may end up at the Supreme Court again. There will be some states to say, you know, no abortion under any circumstance. That includes rape, incest, life of the mother, and that will be challenged. So this will be a, and until we define life, until we define um, when life begins, we're going to have these political debates. So this is not the end all. I mean, I, I do believe this is the beginning of a court that interprets the Constitution in a in an originalist sort of fashion. I mean, I think Gorsuch, Kavanaugh, Barrett, Alito, Thomas are all originalist, and they they interpret the Constitution as it was intended to be interpreted. And and I think the Constitution is very clear about who has the authority to grant these sorts of privileges or, or to allow these sorts of things to happen. Um, I'll give you a real quick stat. Um, 83% of all black pregnancies in New York City in an abortion. That's a staggering number. I mean, I know what you're saying. That's not true. He's wrong. No, that's that. there are more pregnancies in New York City of African-American females that end in abortion than there are um, babies being born. I mean, think about that, guys. Now, I'm talking about New York City. I want to say that again. There are more African-American pregnancies that end in abortion than there are carried full term and having the kid. That should break all of our hearts. That should be alarming to each. I don't care how liberal, how conservative, how, how moderate, how pragmatic, how practical. I don't give a damn where you land on the political spectrum. That that statistic should alarm every moral, living, breathing human being. Let's go to the phone. Who is this and where are you calling from? Yeah, this is Joe from Hartsville. How are you doing? Hey, Joe. Yeah, the amazing thing is they know it's killing the baby. Joe Biden actually admitted it yesterday, and the whole thing started with Margaret Sanger back in the 30s. She was a eugenist. She wanted to exterminate the black race. That was her stated goal. And where are all the Planned Parenthood? She started Planned Parenthood. Where's all the Planned Parenthood offices at? They're in minority communities. 19 million black babies have been aborted since 1973. This went into law. All these people are doing is their ends justify the means. So they don't care 
they got their hair on fire about something that is not in the Constitution, and it's delegated to the states. Now, each state is going to have to come up with their own laws. You keep saying it'll go back to, to the Supreme Court. No, I don't think it will, because the Supreme Court is making the decision this is not a federal jurisdiction. It is a state jurisdiction. So the people have to vote. That's what the bureaucrats are afraid of. When the, the people vote and and have their will expressed, they don't want that. They want to be able to tell you what to do. And as far as when life begins, when when a couple mates and and it impregnates a woman, what does she have? She doesn't have a grizzly bear. She doesn't have a dog. She doesn't have a fish or a cat. She has a little baby, girl, or boy. That's the fact of life. God says, thou shalt not kill. And he will not hold us blameless if we don't stop this. Y'all have a good day. Thank you, Joe. I actually tweeted yesterday uh, a woman's right to choose. Define woman. I mean, the very people that are arguing a woman has a right to choose can't define what a woman is or refuse to define what a woman is. And that's where I go back to, and I'll take a break here, Mike, but it, it interests me a lot. And we're talking about human psychology here. When does liberalism um, morph into insanity or some sort of mental illness, whether it's climate change, whether it's abortion, whether it's transgenderism or gender fluidity, that there's something kicking with, with what I call the, the modern liberal, the, the modern cosmopolitan liberal, I, I think they struggle with um, mental illness. I mean, I really believe that. And I think Elon Musk buying Twitter and the, the emotions and the reaction is bizarre. I mean, it's unbelievably bizarre. So I think it ceases be, uh, being a political ideology or belief and kind of almost morphs into some sort of mental instability. Just, I mean, the ridiculousness of uh, a woman has a right to choose, but last week we couldn't define what a woman was. You can't square that up. And that's not political ideology. That's that's insanity. That's a, it's a, it's a mental illness. Back in a minute. 843-661-0937. Someone's on the phone. Who is this and where are you calling from? Uh, JT from Florence. How are you guys? Hey, JT, how are you? You're on the air, my man. All right. Well, uh, Ken, you know, I, I do want to – I don't know if mental illness is what I would say, but I did – I did uh, find something for you that I want to read real quick. It's from Psychology Today. The human brain is hardwired to seek consistency. And when persistent, unresolved internal contradictions arise between people's everyday decisional premises, it can generate mental stress that manifests in mental dysfunction. So maybe instead of mental illness, mental dysfunction, because as you said, there's a lot of things that just don't make sense when you compare them to each other. We, we want to combat disinformation, but it's okay to let single-sourced, unproven stories about somebody run wild if we don't like that person. And as soon as something comes up that could damage somebody, we do need, and I say we as in the Twitter sphere, um, as, as soon as something comes up that could damage that person that that we actually need that person to succeed, we can we can suppress that and find a reason later. Or 
it, you know, we, we want to protect women's sports and we want them to be able to compete on their own playing fields. But if a person identifies as a woman and they go and dominate it, then that's okay. And, and these contradictions that are in their minds that they have to hold, they stay and keep producing stress upon stress upon stress. In my opinion, I think you're right. I don't know if I'd use the term mental illness as much as mental dysfunction, but I mean, it's got to be exhausting. It has to be exhausting to hold that many opinions polar opposite of each other and get through the day. So thank you. Have a great day, Ken. Y'all. Thank, thank you, JT. I'll agree with that. Mental dysfunction is probably a better definition than mental disorder or, or mental illness. Um, and it is. It's, it's kind of bizarre to me. And I, I think a lot about this. I mean, I know how hard it is to grapple with what I believe in and what I stand for and what I try to, to be as a person. Um, I am nowhere near as conflicted as people on the left, the, the modern political left, um, I mean, they just want it not both ways. They want it every way. They want, you know, all three sides of this and all six sides of that. I mean, the, the guy the guy we elected president, or they elected president, somebody elected president, um, basically when I asked how many genders are there, he said at least three. The hell does that mean, at least three? I mean, that's where the left is. And I do think it's uh, mental dysfunction personified back in a minute let's go back to ohio if you don't mind Eight four three six six one zero nine three seven is our number in ohio the big news is jd vance wins the senate republican primary with 32 percent of the vote um i text my buddy or our buddy robert kahaley yesterday and asked for a prediction and he said i stick to my poll um he had kahaley had or trafalgar had um jd vance at about 27 percent um and robert actually said he may overperform uh the poll there's a couple of other um, primaries in Ohio. The 7th Congressional District, Trump-endorsed candidate wins. The 13th Congressional District, Trump candidate wins. Um, uh, in fact, Miller, let me make sure of his first name, Max Miller, uh, was a uh, aide, uh, an assistant in the Trump White House, um, served as a special advisor to Trump in the Office of Presidential Personnel. Um, Trump actually put him on the U.S. Holocaust Memorial Council Board of Trustees. He got about 70% of the vote in a four-way race. And then, um, uh, I'm trying to think of who else it is. Uh, somebody else got endorsed by Trump, and I can't. I should be better prepared. See if I had my my um, my normal way of doing just things. Just say uh, J.P. Mandel. Nah, it's not J.P. Mandel. Okay. Uh, I'll tell you what hurt Mandel. Uh, a picture surfaced late in the campaign toward the end of April of um, Josh Mandel and Bill Crystal at some sort of political event, and Mandel basically got cornered about a European endorsed no-fly zone. Remember, J.D. Vance said, I don't care what happens in Ukraine. Uh, I care much more about what happens on the American-Mexican border than I do the Ukrainian-Russian border, and he got beat up you know, by the national media. Um, I think J.D. said last night when he, got, um, when he gave his acceptance speech as the Republican nominee that a lot of the media and the status quo and the organized forces in the Republican Party uh, were trying to announce the death of the Trump movement. You know, people had moved past Donald Trump. Well, Max Miller and um, I think it's Gilbert. I think the person's last name is Gilbert who received the other um, Trump endorsement. And all three of those people won. J.D. Vance won the Senate uh, primary. Uh, Miller and uh, Gilbert won the congressional primaries. Uh, so Trump, as far as I know, um, was 
3-0 and last night. I don't think he had any endorsement. Might have had one in Indiana, but it was kind of a layup. I mean, it was not a – It was in other words, he didn't stick his neck out and got involved in, in a race he shouldn't have like he did in Georgia. Um, you know, the, 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 the real – I mean, to me, J.D. Vance was the most interesting endorsement Trump gave uh, during the year because J.D. Vance had a lot of uh, very not-so-complimentary things to say about Trump, and – and Trump didn't care. You know, he said a lot of people said bad things about me. I don't care. Uh, this guy seems to be America first. He seems to be on board with our agenda. Um, so I'm endorsing J.P. Mandel. I mean, J.D. Mandel. <laughs> I mean, J.D. Vance. I'll get it right here in a second ago. Uh, full-throated endorsement there, not even remembering the guy's name. But Vance overperforms last night, gets 32% of the vote. Um, the, the other interesting point that I tried to make yesterday, and we're getting in the weeds a bit here, but, but I was interested as to whether or not Governor Mike DeWine would get 50% of the vote. If he got 50% of the vote, um, I'm not saying that's a bad day for Trump. I'm certainly not suggesting that. But it would have been, um, ah, there, there could have been a question of who's the heavy man on the seesaw. You know, is the traditional status quo Republican um, equally in force or equally opposed to Trump in the Republican primary um, DeWine got about 48% of the vote, uh, 514,000 votes, and there were 532,000 cast against him. So DeWine, if he'd run against um, Blystone or Renacci, it would have been a one-point race one way or the other. I mean, it would have been a hotly contested race, but uh, but once again, Blystone wouldn't get out and, and Renacci would get out. And I would argue that the George W. Bush team probably kept, uh, the Carl Rose of the world probably kept Blystone of the race to dilute because it's not a runoff state. Remember, it's a plurality state. And um, and had I mean, if this were a runoff state, we'd be having a runoff between Renacci and and um, and Dewine, But it's not. It's plurality. So they probably did what they could to keep that third candidate in to dilute, you know, or divide that that anti-incumbent vote or the Trump vote. And I'm not saying Dewine's anti-America first, but he's considered kind of a moderate. Um, status quo, old school Republican, the encouraging part of Ohio to me, and this is the macro, um, the Democrats had a primary and Tim Ryan, a, a respected congressman, uh, ran in the Democrat primary. They had about 510,000 votes cast, total ballots cast, somewhere in the neighborhood of 510. That was with 97 or 8% reporting. So there's a little bit hanging out there. That number will go up a little bit, but not much. Um, the GOP had over a million votes cast in, a, in the Ohio primary. So in a swing state, and we still argue that Ohio is a swing state, the Republicans had twice as many votes as the Democrats in their primary. Now, now you could argue, yeah, but it was a hotly contested primary, and J.D. Vance and Dolan and Gibbons and Mandel and all those guys had uh, a lot of money and a pretty good following, so that naturally drove to And I'll accept that. And if it were 700 to 500 750 to 500, I would believe that that's probably the the reason there's that much of an uptick in voting, but twice as many from half a million to a million, Ohio's not a swing state any longer. And unless J.D. Vance makes a major, major mistake, I don't think he will. He's just not that kind of guy. J.D. Vance is going to be a senator from Ohio and one of the leading spokespeople, I, I said it earlier, Rev, and I'll say it again. Uh, Rev's back with us. Uh, you've got everything uh, working as well as you can get it working <laughs> for now. this morning. I've done uh, all the damage for I can now. do. Yeah, he's out of duct tape and um, and crazy glue. <laughs> we got somebody going out to Dollar General to get us another roll of duct tape. That's right. And a couple of more tubes of, um, of crazy glue. 
But I said this morning that I think J.D. Vance could be the most reputable voice in the America First movement. I mean, DeSantis is the superstar. There's no doubt about it. DeSantis takes on Disney. DeSantis takes on um, wokeism. DeSantis takes on political correctness. DeSantis is kind of a, um, I mean, he's revered now as Trump 2.0, you know, without all of the bombast. There's some of the bombast, not all of the bombast. There's some of the um, uh, some of the indecency, but not all of the indecency. In other words, he's watered down enough for a lot of people to say, I wouldn't have any problem voting for Ron DeSantis. I'm not voting for Trump. I can't stand much more of that. But I don't have any problem voting with Ron DeSantis. But I'm telling you, the guy that's going to capture the imagination of the America First movement is going to be J.D. Vance. Hmm. Once that once that story becomes uh, front and center, once again, a lot of Republicans had to be careful because it's a primary, and and you know a lot of operatives and, and you know some of the consulting class, some of the donor class, they don't get that involved in primaries because you pick the wrong horse, you get to the back of the line. No matter how much money you got, I mean, a Mandel supporter who is a Republican supporter is going to have problems breaching or, or getting through the gatekeeper. To get to J.D. Vance. I mean, that's just the nature of politics. The loyalists will be rewarded. Peter Thiel is probably the most loyal supporter of J.D. Vance with $13.5 million. That gets you to the front of the line uh, pretty quickly. But I just look at um, where the party is and where it appears to be headed. And last night, J.D. Vance. Now, now if Oz wins in, in, in Pennsylvania, that's crazy. I mean, that it really and truly. I mean, if Oz wins in Pennsylvania... Then, then Trump is the absolute dominant force in Republican politics. If Oz wins in Pennsylvania, Trump has no choice but to run again in 2024. I mean, I think he's encouraged this morning by how well J.D. Vance did. I think we all expected, well, we, we all thought J.D. could win. I said it uh, uh, yesterday. yesterday. You, you said you. I wouldn't be surprised you, you, if he you won. Think he's, yeah, you think he's going to win, but you wouldn't be surprised if he kind of lost in a close race. And that's exactly where I felt. And, you know, I think that was a reasonable position to hold. But but he gets 32%. The polling had him at 27. He gets 32. Remember what I said a couple of weeks ago that, that a lot of the Trump bump seems to decline or be overstated or embellished? And that Trump bump. Um, you're at 27. Yeah. Well, J.D. Vance is at 12. He gets the Trump endorsement. He goes from 12 to 21 or two in like, you know, like overnight. And I told Rev, I said, he's not at 22. I mean, he's at 16 or 17. I don't buy that endorsement gets you from 11 or 12 to 21 or 22. And I think J.D. Vance did a lot of that himself. I think Peter Till's 13 and a half million dollars, uh, didn't hurt for sure. You know, getting the message out. What, what, what do we talk a lot about here with the Trump endorsement? It's not just good enough in a Republican primary to get endorsed by Trump. You've got to let everybody know you've been endorsed uh, by Donald Trump. Somebody texted me a minute ago, what does this mean for the 7th Congressional District? Well, I mean, to me, it means a lot. I mean, it means Trump's endorsement matters. I mean, it still matters. Uh, if you're Tom Rice, you're trying to convince yourself, I would imagine that the Trump endorsement has waned. It's less effective today than it was when he was at the pinnacle. Uh, he was the president. And, you know, his approval ratings are through the roof. I don't, I don't know that I buy that. I mean, the media narrative has been to try and convince us that Trump's uh, support is waning. People are tiring of Trump. I think people are tiring of Trump. I don't think his support is waning. <laughs> I mean, I really believe that. I think Trump is a guy that you get real tired of, and he wears you out, and you wish he wouldn't do these sorts of things. But, but you still, for whatever reason, have this loyalty. 
And it is a loyalty. It's it's a passion about getting that guy, you know, or keeping that guy in the arena some way, somehow. So I don't think those are mutually exclusive of one another. I think there are a lot of people out there who are very tired of Donald Trump, but they understand the necessariness of him being involved front and center in some of these campaigns. So, yeah, I mean, I think what J.D. Vance did yesterday in Ohio is, is good for Russell Fry and bad for, for Tom Ross. Now, I don't know how that plays out. We got a debate tomorrow night. That, that'll be kind of the um, uh, one of the first steps forward in getting closer to the intensity of, uh, of a campaign. We're what, a month out? Uh, a little better than a month out. Yeah. I think it's the July 4th, June 14th, we're May 4th. So we're five and a half, six weeks out from the election. Tomorrow, I would argue, is kind of the, the, the Kickstarter of the last six weeks of the campaign, last five weeks of the campaign um but but yeah if i'm if i'm in the rice camp and i see what happened in ohio it, it's not a good day let's go to the phone who is this and where are you calling from bird odom how you doing hey how are you good well i'm better i was in the hospital a couple weekends ago for double pneumonia and uh the flu damn bird so, i'm sorry so, so i've been down pretty much for a couple of weeks oh uh, yeah, I hadn't listened this morning, Ken. I'm at work, but uh, anyway, great day yesterday for Republicans in Ohio. Uh, J.D. Vance uh, in the Republican primary, I think they got almost seven hundred and fifty thousand votes, and uh, Tim Ryan only brought in with him and the other guy. I think they only brought in about four hundred thousand. Uh, Governor Mike DeWine, I think he got there was over a million votes cast in the Republican primary for governor. It was somewhere south of 400,000 in the Democratic primary. So it doesn't bode well for uh, Democrats in, uh, in Ohio and probably doesn't bode well for Democrats all over the country about like things uh, have been playing out, that there's a red wave coming and they don't know how to stop it. And yesterday went a long ways towards showing them that red wave is real. And, and yeah, there's going to be a lot of Republicans elected and a lot of Democrats unelected in November. Bird, from your perspective, you're, you've got a good handle on the 7th Congressional District and the primary voters, um, that there was a suspicion that the Trump supported waned a bit. Um, I think J.D. Vance polling at 26 or 7 percent, ending up at 32 percent, just obliterates that theory. I mean, it's, you know, people may be tired of Trump, but they're still interested in him being involved in this. What, what do you make of J.D. Vance's uh, performance yesterday in correlation with the 7th Congressional District primary? Well, when you look at five very strong candidates, and he outpolled all of them, I think 32 to 27 was his closest person to him, and all those were very quality candidates and stuff. And he polled that much, even though 5% don't sound like a lot. But That's a lot. That's a lot. Thousands, thousands and thousands of votes and uh, by four other very popular people in Ohio. So, no, it, it just bodes well, and it... Uh, Donald Trump, whether, whether you like him, dislike him, or whatever, everybody knows he is the necessity that's going to save this country. He's already done it one time. And, and you're right, people, people may not like some of the things he does, but he's proven that he can save the country, and we're certainly going to need saving in 2024. And then the start of it is uh, November the 8th, and I think uh, Donald Trump may not be on the ballot in November, but the people he's endorsing, uh, they're going to be on the ballot. And I think it bodes well for Donald Trump, and I think it pretty much catapults him into uh, announcing shortly after the November 8th election that he will be the candidate in 2024. And I think it's, it's like you said, against a necessity. We, we've got to have somebody that's going to turn the country around 
And he is the only person. I think Mark DeSantis is a very quality governor and would probably make a great president. But we don't have uh, on-the-job training coming up in 2024. We've got to have somebody that's already proven they can save the country. Thank you, Verd. Appreciate that. Glad you're doing better, my man. Appreciate you calling in. Yeah, J.D. Vance, when you say 32.2% and Mandel got 23.9%, um, you're saying, well, that's uh, that's 8%. That's a lot. I mean, that's a lot. I'll give you an example. Vance got 341,000 votes. Uh, Mandel in second got 253,000 votes. So there's nearly 100,000 vote difference there uh, from 340, 341 to 253. I mean, that's a big number. I mean, that, you know, that's a surprising number to me. I'm not talking to Robert today, but I want to get his take. What led him to believe that J.D. Vance was going to overperform? And what does that mean for the 7th Congressional District? Because once again, uh, we're the epicenter of this tomorrow night, hosting a debate, uh, broadcast, we hope, uh, if some of the um, <laughs> some of the repairs are made over our airwaves, 93 point, excuse me, 95.3. Yeah, in your own 94, 95.3. Only been there 10 years is 95, 95.3. Uh, yeah, it seems like I would remember that. Uh, but, uh, but yeah, we're going to be the epicenter of this. And there will be a lot of national, I mean, as much national notoriety as there was with J.D. Vance being a Trump-endorsed candidate, you know, a, a guy that had never run for office before but had a little bit of a celebrity quality about him. It's going to be uniquely different than that here in the 7th Congressional District. But the added ingredient in the 7th District is you've got a an endorsed candidate by Trump and a guy that voted to impeach Trump. So so take out the celebrity the national, um, what am I trying to say, the national brand, I get, the, the, the hillbilly elegy and J.D. Vance have created for themselves. Take that out, but replace it with the, the dynamic of you know, a Trump-endorsed candidate running against a person who voted to impeach Donald Trump. That is such an interesting, interesting phenomenon that we're going to have a front-row seat at beginning tomorrow night on 95.3. Somebody's on the phone. Let's go there. Who's this, and where are you calling from? Hey, Ken, it's David. How you doing, man? Hey, David, how are you? Uh, how, how about that, J.D. Vance? Um I was thinking yesterday, well, today you were talking about Limbaugh. If you remember, the intro bumper music to Limbaugh was a song called Ohio, My City Was Gone. And when I think about J.D. Vance, we got to make sure my country was gone. I mean, our country's going to be gone if we don't have people like J.D. there. And he won 74 out of 88 counties. Uh, he actually did decently. In some of the bluest counties, uh, like Cuyahoga, that's the bluest county. He got 26%. Uh, Franklin County, Hamilton, these are these are where Cleveland and Columbus and Cincinnati are. Uh, he got 31% there. So the Ted Cruz's who who went against him, the Rand Pauls who went against him, the, the Rob Porton, they, they need to get on this train. And what's going to fascinate me is that we're going to see what Tim Ryan what his strategy is going to be. And I can tell you what he's going to do because he ran for president. I don't remember that, but when you watch those uh, debates, he was on stage with uh, Tulsi and uh, Bernie and Elizabeth Warren and all that. He, he always tried to say he was the moderate. So here's his, his campaign strategy. He's going to be Joe who, uh, and we watch all this about abortion. I'm watching TV this morning they're outside of an abortion clinic where? In Cincinnati, Ohio. So you talk about, I think you said that, that educated females or college females are 34 deep, plus 34 deep. 
let's get the women's turnout. Joe Who is going to work there. They're going to pull the Charlottesville. They're going to link J.D. to Donald Trump, uh, and they're going to try to get as many minorities with that. So th- this is the old uh, tactics that they're using. This whole abortion thing, it's a, it's trying to get your mind off of inflation, off of all this stuff, and and they're just trying to get that. They want to turn that plus 34D into a plus 50D or whatever you want to call it. But I'm just telling you, all that's a diversion. So watch uh, Tim Ryan's campaign in Ohio. Watch, watch what he does. Thank you, David. Thank Appreciate you. it. See, i got such a warped mind. When David says female in 34D, I don't think about voting. I'm sorry. <laughs> I just don't. I mean, I, I'm a level with you. I'm really? a dude. I'm 100% dude. And when David says female voters in 34D, my mind goes to the gutter. I'm sorry. I mean, I know I'm the only one, but my mind immediately goes to something other than how females are casting their ballots and what party they favor over the other. Stop that, David. You got to say 34 Democrat instead of 34. D. Let's take a break. Back in a minute. Really? Not Cato Yano. It's not Cato. Right. It's Yano. The Rev and Yano can't. No matter who it is, they ain't with a word in edgewise. That's true. I can assure you with that. Listeners um, included. I got a couple of texts a second ago. I'm not the only dude in the gutter. I mean, I, a lot of our male listeners thought the same thing when David said that. And knowing David, he may have done that on purpose to try to lead us down the road uh, to the gutter. And when, and when uh, he said that, I, I was actually playing the uh, the pretender song that David referenced, the old Limbaugh theme, yeah. My City Was Gone. I was playing that in my well, head. You're so Ohioan. I kind of I I missed it. Sure. I mean, you're, you're a native Ohioan. Kind of missed the uh, the double reference there. Okay. <laughs> so Good deal. Speak, so to speak. Uh, so, so there are two names, going back a number of years, there are two names that you talked about before most of us around here had ever heard of them. Okay. Uh, Peter Thiel and J.D. Vance. Mm-hmm. Uh, and obviously they played a role together uh, in J.D., uh, winning this uh, primary last night. I just sensed uh, back in 16, when I read the book, Hillbilly Elegy, and, and I knew Teal had some political inclinations. I mean, Teal spoke at the RNC, uh, excuse me, the, uh, yeah, the, the Republican National Commit Convention when they uh, nominated Trump as the presidential candidate. Teal spoke. I just felt, and this is just kind of, kind of a sensibility I have, I just felt that trade, China, and immigration were going to be dominant factors moving forward. I, I think they are. I mean, I, you know, whether we talk about that as much as we should or not, um, Trump was hard on China. Uh, J.D. Vance lives in a world that was impacted negatively by China, by trade, by immigration. So, so when I looked at Teal and I heard what he had said about China, that the unfair practices of China, the unfair uh, trade that, that the United States government's made, the deals we made, and, and then I talk about immigration, allowing unskilled labor to dilute, excuse me, distort the labor market in America. I've said it before, if the if the illegal immigrants were coming to America to run for Congress or work on Wall Street, there'd be a wall as high as the sky. But they're not. And the people that they're coming to compete for jobs with, they don't much care for. So when I saw J.D. Vance and Peter Thiel several years ago, I just thought that the, the political priorities of the party were going to really advantage someone like J.D. Vance or someone like Peter Thiel because of trade, because of immigration, and because of China. And once in my life, I kind of sort of got it right. <laughs> Let's go to the phone. Who is this, and where are you calling from? Hey, it's Jim and Florence. Hey, Jim. Hey, good morning, guys. So uh, don't you know that uh, Momo is uh, pretty excited right now? Uh, I'd, I'd love to be able to 
to know what she thinks about uh, the her boy that she raised um, and that she kind of saved from a um, a horrible situation on uh, what he turned into. Um, but seeing J.D. Vance uh, win that nomination in Ohio, um, Ken, put yourself in the shoes of uh, Tom Rice's campaign uh, manager, advisor. What are you doing um, Wednesday morning? I'll take it off the air. Thank, thank you. you, thank you, Jim. I said a second ago. I, I think you're. I think you're. I mean, you're nervous and concerned anyway, and I think you're more nervous and more concerned today than you were yesterday. I mean, the Rice campaign had to be close, closely watching the Ohio Senate race. Now, once again, JD is unique, and and he has two particular qualities or characteristics that make him unique. One is he wrote a book that became a movie that made him a celebrity. And we tend to be intrigued by celebrity candidates today. I'm not saying J.D. Vance is Dr. Oz. He's certainly not Donald Trump. But but he's a little bit different than most politicians. And Peter Thiel jumped on board, wrote a $10 million check to fund a super PAC that really was the impetus to get J.D. in the race. And he put another $3.5 million in. Um, so so there, there's, you know, that you, you got to be careful there. But but it does. That There is no question about it that Trump's endorsement, despite Teal's money and J.D. Vance's celebritydom, he was still at about 12, 13, 14% of the polls, and he ends up at 32%. So the Trump endorsement was a big deal, probably equally as big as J.D. being a celebrity and as big as, uh, I, I doubt, Teal's money was probably the biggest deal in all of it. I mean, the Trump endorsement's big, but $13.5 million dollars, uh, spent on your or in, on your behalf in a political campaign. I mean, that's a game changer. I, I don't discount any of those, but but there's no doubt, Jim, that Rice has to be more concerned today than he was yesterday because the Trump endorsement is a, still a big deal, despite what CNN's tried to tell you and the New York Times and the Nightly News have tried to say. And and I believe this. I, I don't think they're mutually exclusive. I think a lot of people are tired of Trump. But I think Trump's endorsement is still a big deal. Uh, I, I don't know how you have it both ways, but I think in the Republican primary right now, that's the way it is. And and once again, um, the 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 advantage that the Trump endorsement candidate, the Trump endorsed candidate, has in this race is he's running against someone who voted to impeach, you know, Donald Trump. Uh, not only the endorsement, but you've got the the counter narrative of the guy I'm running against voted to impeach Trump. Now, I'll tell you what Rice is doing, and I think it's smart. Tom Rice's campaign appears to be forward-looking, visionary, positive. That's the best hand they can play. I mean, if, if Tom Rice called me right now and said, hey, I need advice on what to do from here, I, I think you own the vote of impeachment, the articles of impeachment, uh, insurrection. I think you own that, and you defend that the best way you can, and I think you run a campaign that is visionary, that is optimistic, that is forward-looking um, because that separates you from what happened. And, you know, you got to create the mindset amongst the voters uh, to, to try to convince them that, yeah, that happened, but look at where we're headed. Now, now that's that's complicated, but that's sound political strategy. Who is this and where are you calling from? Uh, Steve and Florence. Um, yeah, I was thinking the same thing about the 3014. <laughs> I had to admit but, um, yeah, he was right, though. This is a distraction with uh, um, abortion. We should focus on the proxy war in Russia that we're fighting, all the money we're uh, sending over there, the invasion at the border. 
food shortages and all caused by the Democratic Party. Um, and you think um, you, you yeah you do your debate tomorrow? Are you going to bring up the abortion issue or? leave it go i don't i don't know that i mean that's been that was not stinky steve appreciate the call that wasn't part of the um i mean i provided the candidates with the 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 topics i mean that's that's standard i mean that happens a lot uh presidential debates will have they'll have one on domestic policy and another on foreign policy now now we'll we'll deviate there but i've given all the candidates the categories of which we'll cover um but but the the issue with abortion you know the leaked document the leaked uh, opinion was not revealed or disclosed when i provided those questions to the candidates i don't want to spend a lot of time tomorrow not talking about abortion i want to spend the majority of our time on substantive debate on issues that congress deals with and i think there are about five or six issues that to me are front and center with what these people asking to be your next congressman are going to have to deal with so so once again uh there there's stump meetings there are, you know, um, photo ops. There are appearances on Fox News or local radio. All of that goes in to a campaign. What I hope we can do tomorrow is have a, a very substantive debate about what you're going to do about these issues if you are indeed a member of Congress. Um, infrastructure. I mean, I'll let a cat out of the bag. Infrastructure is a big deal. I mean, Horry County is one of the fastest growing counties in America. Tourism is a, what, an $8 billion, that's just the grand strand. I mean, it's a bigger industry than that, but I think tourism contributes about $8 billion to our state's economy. Um, We don't have adequate infrastructure. We just don't. I mean, it's the only tourist destination that does not have interstate access. But I'm not going to simply ask, do you support or not I-73? I mean, I think the answer is, I mean, we got to create a little more complication in that question and it's not going to be yes and no answers um and i do think there's some dynamics in this debate that are going to be very interesting i think the um if you believe and i don't know i've not seen much polling i saw a couple of polls a while back i'm not seeing any recent polling here but um but i gotta believe after ken richardson being on our show earlier this week that he believes he's running against russell fry that's the way it sounded to me uh, it sounded to me like every everything he's going to do is convince people who don't want Rice to go back that despite Trump's endorsement, I'm the better I'm the better candidate. So he's kind of um I don't say punching up, but but he's he's is is animus or his um not his anger not his frustration his his political prioritizing has to be Russell Fry. I mean all of these guys are trying and ladies are trying to figure out a way to get in a runoff with Tom Rice with Congressman Rice. And I've heard others say, well, why do you think Rice will be in the runoff? Because he's, he's funded and he's an incumbent and he's from Horry County and he still has a legion of support. Uh, now, we'll find out what sort of support he has amongst Republican primary voters. But, um, but, but you know, it's all about that vote. I mean, it, we're not having this debate tomorrow night if Tom Rice does not vote to impeach Donald Trump. I mean, it's as simple as that. Um, he put blood in the water. And in politics, when you put blood in the water, here come the sharks. And you've got four candidates. We've actually got six other candidates. There are five invited to this debate. The other two don't like not being invited, but, you know, life isn't fair uh, sometimes. Uh, I think we've got the the five candidates most likely to garner public support. You know, th- there's always a candidate or two, and I'm not accusing anybody of this, but there's always a candidate or two in about every race that simply runs to try to draw attention to themselves. And, and those sorts of candidates, I think, are more harmful 
to the to the discourse than helpful because they're not in it to be a congressman. They're not in. They're in it to promote shamelessly themselves. And those sort of candidates, to me, just don't add any value to the to the um to the debate to the um to the issue at hand. And I mean, I think the, whomever decided these five candidates, um, these are probably the the five candidates. That, if somebody would have said choose five candidates, I would have probably chosen these five candidates. If somebody had chosen, told me to choose few or four, uh, one would have been left off. I'm not going to disclose who that would have been, but one would have obviously not been included. I think the Myrtle Beach debate is only going to consist of three candidates. That is Congressman Rice, um, and Trump endorsed Russell Fry, and Ken Richardson, if I'm not mistaken. But uh, but yeah, you'll, you'll have a chance to listen on 95.3. I think we're on television for an hour from 7 until 8, and then NBC has their primetime lineup which takes, um, takes precedent over our feeble attempt at radio and television debates. <laughs> but, um, but, but it's going to be, I mean, it's going to be very interesting. And, uh, and I've concluded, I've got all of my questions and I'll probably tweak and twist and turn a little bit, but I'm trying to get to substance. I want these five candidates who are asking for your support to go to Washington and be a member of Congress to explain in specificity why they believe they're qualified, and and I think addressing these concerns and issues and questions will prove to the voters and the listeners and the viewers if they are or if they are not. 843-661-0937. Let's take a break. We'll be back in just a couple of minutes. This is a terrible day to do this with all the uncertainty we have about the phone lines <laughs> and computers and network and how many of you are listening and the the streaming and the the different markets we're in. But we're going to do it anyway. Um, we felt it was important for you, our listeners, to be included in this debate. And uh, it's a partnership between Francis Marion University, WMBF, and Community Broadcasters. Everybody got basically some um, some extra tickets. Uh, we, we've got certain sponsors. We've got certain um, supporters that have been very, very, very gracious and kind of what we do here. Uh, WMBF has similar um, you know, people that support their their enterprise, Francis Marion University, is no different than that. So FMU, uh, WMBF Community Broadcasters, we kept a few tickets. But we felt it was important um, for you, our listeners, to be included. So here's what we're doing. Today's a lousy day to do it because of the uncertainty of the phones and can you get through or not. But the first caller at 843-661-0937 this morning of you, our listeners, you can receive a couple of free tickets to the debate tomorrow night at the FMU Performing Arts Center. First caller to 843-661-0937. If these phones work, <laughs> and, and they've kind of, you know, they're hitting miss a I little bit working. Uh, this morning, but if you're out there listening, call 843-661-0937. If you want to go to debate, I mean, don't 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 get them and sell them for a million bucks each like the Springsteen <laughs> yeah. tickets at Madison Square Garden. <laughs> uh, Mike will get your call. He'll get all your information, and we'll, um, we'll, we'll, we'll set you up. And we've got a couple of other sets that we'll give away. Um, maybe another set later today and a couple of more sets tomorrow, mm -hmm. the day of the debate. But, um, yeah, we, we got all these big shots that support community broadcasters, big shots that support WMBF, and big shots that support Francis Marion University. But we know the world's not full of big shots. And there are many of you out there that have been so gracious, so kind, so supportive of what we do here that, that Rev actually felt it was important that we reserve a handful of tickets for our listeners. So um, starting now and through tomorrow, uh, we've got, well, I don't know, six or eight tickets somewhere thereabout. 
and at the appointed hours, uh, we'll we'll um, we'll give the number, and we'll say the first caller to this number receives a couple of free tickets to the debate uh, tomorrow night. And, and the tickets that were available, they were free. I mean, there were no charges for the sure. tickets, but the ones that were available publicly that that went online on the Francis Marion University Performing Arts Center box office, uh, they went very fast. They did, and so we, that, that's why you know we have these, and we will. Uh, like you said, throughout uh, the rest of the show today and tomorrow, uh, give some away. And if the phones aren't working, we apologize. We're just in a state of flux here uh, this morning. But uh, but a couple of tickets we're going to give away. And we're going to give away another couple of tickets uh, in the next hour. And we may try to give away a couple of pair again tomorrow. But the debate is tomorrow. It's, it's kind of an interesting moment in this show's history. I mean, we uh, we say and do nonsensical things. We uh, We're very informal. We're very unrehearsed. Uh, what you see is what you get. It's kind of what we pride ourselves on. But tomorrow night's a different animal. I mean, you've got five individuals that have declared themselves candidates for Congress, and that's serious business. And we're going to treat tomorrow to, tomorrow night in a way that you don't normally see us treat uh, particular. I think you're kind of interested in, okay, so you take this this fun and games hat off and put this very serious hat on mm-hmm. um that's different that's odd because i don't live in that world any longer you know i'm trying to think of i mean i've moderated a few debates but they weren't really debates more, more public forums this will be a full-fledged uh congressional debate that requires and and deserves serious serious yeah, on consideration stage with podiums yeah, and with, television with cameras. television lights and cameras and timing and stage managers um, when Rev said we had stage managers and earpieces and, and timing, I said, I don't want to do this. <laughs> I mean, I like doing it the way I want to do it. Now we got four or five people telling me what I got to do. And I don't do good when people tell me what I got to do. Uh, hey, a couple of tickets, uh, phones ringing like crazy, and we'll give away another couple in the next hour. Back in a minute. We're going to make life's, uh, we're going to make Mike's life even more miserable in this last hour today. Um, Rev says we've got two pair of tickets that we can give away. In this hour, so at the appointed hour, at, when we say, don't call now, unless you want to go on the air. But yeah. but at some point, I mean, we want you to call to go on the air, express yourself, um, so we can agree or disagree. But at some point in time during the next hour, we've got two pairs of tickets uh, that Rev is going to allow us to give away. And, and once again, now Rev, I'm not altruistic. I mean, I'm in it for 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 me. But Rev's one of these kind, generous souls uh-huh. that wants to look after our listeners. You're too kind. So he says. That we've got a few extras here <laughs> held back, and what we did, guys, we 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 were allotted a certain number of tickets because we are a kind of a uh, part of the host team, uh, us, the the television station, and Francis Marion University, and everybody had certain um, groups they wanted to take care of. Ours were our sponsor. Uh, we, we've got a, a lot of people that have been very gracious and supportive of this feeble attempt at Radio Brilliance. But Rev said, "Man, we can't leave the callers out. I mean, we've got to figure out a way to involve our callers." Uh, excuse me, our listeners. Listen. We're going to turn you into a caller whether you go on the air or not. You got a call to get the tickets. <laughs> right. So at some point in time uh, there, during the next hour, we've got two pair, four tickets for you folks in Bamplico that we're going to give away um, to the first caller. Not now, but at some point in time in the next um, in the next hour. I want to go to something that I said earlier this morning that I really believe, and I think JD Vance has a chance to be. Uh, we were talking to Rev when you were out doing your thing, trying to get everybody back on the air. Uh, we were talking about um, the Mount Rushmore of America First, and it's very premature. I mean, America First is not, uh, I mean, there's not a Thomas Jefferson of America First. There's not a, a George Washington 
of America First. But there is um, a political movement afoot that that is going to require certain uh, personalities and people to be deeply involved and motivated. And yeah, I can lead the charge. Well, I mean, yeah, and I came up with a, with a well, whether they've chosen. I mean, some declare themselves America Firsters. Some simply say, I don't like our policy on immigration. I don't like our policy on trade. I think the way we deal with China is uh, politically inconsistent. So, so whether you whether you declare yourself an America Firster or not, that there are some motivations that that lead us down a certain political lane, and and I think that lane is America First. And uh, this will be some of the conversation tomorrow night at the uh, congressional debate in the Republican primary. Uh, you know, not where do you stand on those issues, but um, the correlation of those issues into uh, what do we do? Because I think what a lot of the frustration of the American Republican primary voter is um, everybody has an opinion of China. Everybody has an opinion of immigration. Everybody has an opinion of, of trade. What are the policy changes? Uh, I don't know if you know this or not, but there's been a, uh, a neutering of Trump's trade policies, of Trump's um, policy toward China. And the Republicans went along. Uh, that there's some there's some language in some of these bills and statutes. I'll try I'll try to find something during the break. But um, but we've adopted new policies on China. You don't know much about it. I don't know much about it. I know more than most because I do this for a living. Um, but embedded in some of the um some of the transitioning language from uh, one executive office to another, there's been some some legislative changes that have you know fundamentally addressed. The way Trump dealt with immigration, the way Trump dealt with trade, the way Trump dealt with um with China, and it's really neutered um, those what I call three facets of the America First agenda. But I think J.D. Vance and um and the, the Peter Thiel's of the world and the the Ron DeSantis's of the world they they usher in a new mindset, and the mindset is I don't give a damn what your opinion of something is. I want to know what your policy toward that issue is going to be. I mean, everybody's got the opinion that China cheats, but Republicans have done nothing but, you know, just regurgitate that opinion of China cheats. Everybody knows that we've got, you know, a problem at the southern border. Nobody has a policy to address that or an enforcement mechanism to the policy. So I believe, and here's why I think J.D. Vance has a chance. He's got a clean slate. I mean, he's not a politician. He's never been in political office before. So he's got something very few people have uh, at that point in their lives. He's got a chance to build a brand. What is J.D. Vance going to be? Is J.D. Vance go- going to be, because here's what I think Ron DeSantis has, has really separated himself. Ron DeSantis doesn't simply tell you what his opinion is. Ron DeSantis says what the policy needs to be. And I'm going to advocate on behalf of this policy, whether it's Disney, whether it's the Reedy Creek Improvement District, I mean, that, that, you know, my opinion of Disney is they should have stayed in their lane and not tried to meddle in the affairs of state government. He didn't just say that. I mean, he got a policy. Um, you you, you want to fight? Okay, let's fight. You, you want to try to bully your way around Florida? Um, I'll bully back at you. We'll, we'll take the full, you know, the full power and might of the, of the Florida General Assembly. And so, so, so I think that's what J.D. Vance, and that's why I think he has a chance now, it doesn't mean he's going to do it, but he has a chance to be the most fe- effective and reputable voice in America first because he's got a clean slate. 
He has a chance to not just express his opinion, but to formulate policy. And I think he says things like that because we, we played a blurb of his over the airwaves a while back about J.D. Vance said, what are you going to do when we get control of government? The Republicans are going to have control of government again. I hope it's in 2022. I mean, I think they're going to win the House. They have a chance to win the Senate. They're playing more defense. I mean, the Senate, I mean, if Biden's approval ratings are 41 or 2 and the wrong track number is 60 or above, they'll probably win the Senate. I don't, I don't care what abortion. I mean, you know, th- this is a brush fire. And this is really is living proof of what Democrats are willing to do to sidetrack the debate, to change the issue at hand. Um, I mean, it's just, you know, we kind of suspected this yesterday that it was probably some clerk working for a liberal judge who was told at Georgetown Law School um, how egregious the righty is assaulting women's votes. Now, see, the left didn't know a week ago what a woman was. Today, they're <laughs> they're in the business of That's defending true. women's rights. Um, they, they told us a week ago that, that, you know, yeah, anatomy makes it complicated, but, but a man can't have a child. Well, I can tell you one man that don't want nothing to do with having a child. That would be yours truly. <laughs> I don't want anything to do with having a baby. I think God knew exactly what he was doing when he um, gave women certain um, hardware and men other uh, hardware. And I mean, I'm not trying to be crass. I'm not trying to be, I'm trying to a bit entertaining here, but I mean, it's, it's, it's true. I mean, it's real. It's, but, but, you know, so, so the, the political party who a week ago couldn't define what a woman was is now all on board with um, making sure a woman, uh, how they define the woman as uh, has her rights protected. I want to read you something that I think is very interesting and it speaks to the extremism and it really goes to the point we made Rev when you weren't here we argued that there's this scale, there's this linear scale, and uh, you graph. Um, on one end of the scale is um, liberal activism. On the other end of the scale is insanity, just complete and total insanity. And at some point in time, liberal activism becomes, uh, let's say, mental distortion. And and the next thing you know, you're kind of in a box. Um we're here to protect the woman's, uh, women's reproductive rights. But we told them last week we didn't know what a woman was. And you're in constant conflict. And it's got to be, as JT said, it's got to be tiring. I mean, it's got to be consuming. Uh, it, it's got to be just um, everlasting anxiety comes to mind. So when does that, so, so when you leave the liberal activism realm and you enter to this mental dysfunction or distortion, and, you, and you've got to kind of hash out introspectively. Um, you're standing loud and proud today on behalf of women all over the world and their right to have an abortion. That's where you are today. But a week ago, you were supporting a justice who said, I'm not a biologist. I don't know what a woman is. How do you square that? Well, if you're on the right, you're forced to square that. You don't have any choice but to address some of those inconsistencies. Because if you say something that's a little bit inconsistent with what you said yesterday, here's the media ready to pounce. Here is Twitter and Facebook and all these tech companies and all these media forces. Um, That's not what you said yesterday. But when you're allowed to get by with saying things that are completely and totally inconsistent with one another, but nobody holds you into account, you you get this, I don't know, Rev, this, this personal comfort, this internal comfort. Um... 
I can say, remember the Saturday Night Live skit? I'm in the Liars Club. <laughs> I'm 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 pre I'm I'm president of the yeah, liars. Yeah, that's yeah, the ticket. That's the ticket. I'm president of the liars club, and and that's kind of where the Democrats have gotten themselves. Um, we don't know what a woman is. I'm not a biologist. And the next day, you're 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 called, you're demanded, you're commanded by by your leaders to defend a woman's right to have an abortion. Well, which is it? I mean, do you know what a woman is, or do you not? Are you really here to defend a woman's right to to, to a reproductive, uh, you know, a reproductive health? I think is the that's kind of the catchphrase. It, it's kind of unusual some of the terminology and verbiage they've used uh, when going down that road. But but you know when you're in constant conflict with yourself, but nobody challenges you, and nobody says, "Hey man, hey ma'am, uh, you you said something different yesterday. What well, what's up with that?" I mean, you can rest assured that if you're on our side of the political debate. And you say anything that it was remotely inconsistent with what you said yesterday. I know this from personal experience. I mean, I have listeners who, who challenge me, and, and and good for you. I mean, keep challenging. That holds me into account. I mean, so, so I mean, I had said text, and and we've had calls. Hey, last week you said, or the week before you said, um, it's kind of a moving target when we do this every day. I mean, things evolve, things change. Uh, we think J.D. Vance can win, and then we don't. We, we think Trump's endorsement means this, and then we don't. But we don't make these fundamental misstatements that conflict and, and contradict one another. And the left does that over and over and over and over again. So one day we're trying, uh, it takes a biologist to define a woman, and the next day, everybody on the left knows exactly what a woman is and what her rights should be. And I, the, the absurdity of that, and I think JT's onto something. I called it mental illness or some sort of, um, I, I don't know, self-created or self-perpetrated uh, insanity. But, but it's, it's probably, I mean, you actually went to a psychology site, and there's a condition called uh, mental dysfunction. And that's kind of the point that I'm, uh, that there's, a, there's a dysfunction internally going on when you're always saying things that that conflict or contradict themselves but you don't have to take it back because nobody challenges you on on what you said i want to read this uh th real quick um this is not a radio show host this is not uh an opinion monster um and we know kind of the left's freak out over elon musk buying twitter and then the left freaks out over the supreme court anticipating overturning of Roe v. Wade, um, that's not surprising. Uh, this collective, uh, I don't know, uh, mental dysfunction breakdown um, when they lose on an issue because they're told we never lose because we're never wrong. I mean, you can, you, can, you can require a biologist to define a woman one day and you can be a, um, uh, an advocate for women's reproductive rights the next day but because we can have it all the way. It's because we own academia. We own the media. And um, if we can only shut down, you know, those um, those radio show guys in Fox News, we'd really have all the wind to our sail. But um, but Senator Ed Markey from Massachusetts um, tweeted this yesterday, and I want to read it verbatim because once again, um, this is not a radio show host. This is not Don Jr. This is not Dave Chappelle who got attacked, mm -hmm. if I'm not mistaken. On stage. Yeah. It's okay to get attacked if you're not at the Grammys uh, or not at the Oscars <laughs> or whatever the award show. It's only a moment that we all have to be concerned about mm. when uh, it includes some of the highfalutin, high and mighty um, la-di-da of American society. But Ed Markey um, tweeted from his um, Senate Twitter account. You ready? 
Uh, and this, uh, guys, this is a, a duly elected member of the U.S. Senate from the state of Massachusetts. Uh, one of our owners reside in Massachusetts. Um, I doubt he voted for Ed Markey, knowing Bruce Mittman. Mm-hmm. You guys have met Bruce Mittman over the airways a time or two. Um, I call him the last conservative in Boston. Um, he says, no, there's three or four of us, but not not very many. But Senator Markey says, um, and I quote, I mean, th- this is verbatim. You ready? A stolen, illegitimate, and far-right Supreme Court majority appears set to destroy the right to abortion, an essential right which protects the health, safety, and freedom of millions of Americans. There is no other recourse. We must expand the court. That's a three-year-old. I mean, that's somebody who didn't get the double scoop of ice cream, so they dropped the single scoop on the floor in protest. And then they lay in the floor of the Target and turn in circles and embarrass all the, the adults around them, whether you're their parent or not. Everybody's embarrassed when a kid uh, behaves that way. Um, I almost said shows your ass that way. Um, <laughs> but I didn't. <laughs> but they did. <laughs> behaves that way. So, so he uses these words, stolen and illegitimate. Um, read those words carefully. What does Marky mean? Um, the current conservative majority of the U.S. Supreme Court were appointed by somebody um, who, I don't know, a third of the country believes leads a cult. It's kind of a cultist. So, so in essence, what, what Marky is insinuating that the cultist stole the election, the cultists are illegitimate, and uh, Gorsuch... A guy, not Alito, Gorsuch, uh, Barrett, and Kavanaugh are only on the court. Uh, they're illegitimately on the court. Um, they stole the. Uh, I mean, if Trump had said something like that, if anybody on our side had tweeted a stolen, illegitimate, far right Supreme Court, I mean, imagine Senator Lindsey Graham saying this morning a stolen, illegitimate, and far left Supreme Court majority appear the, to ready to destroy the right to to an abortion and essential right. I mean, imagine the outcry. But there's a celebration. I mean, he'll he'll get an award for saying this stupidity. Um, and I think you know if the pre, if, if there's a legitimate media and and somebody other than uh, you know I'm talking about a radio show. If they say that to provoke to uh, I don't know rev to create conflict and and, you know, get listeners and viewers and readers and subscribers. I mean, it's kind of the business model that works in today's world. But but just imagine, um, just imagine a media that will never challenge Ed Markey on saying a stolen and illegitimate Supreme Court. Forget the far right. I mean, it's not a far right court. It's a right of center court, and it was appointed by um, in other words, I guess the uh, the 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 takeaway, the single sentence takeaway, could be uh, the cultists overturned Roe v. Wade because Trump. The only way Trump became president was to become a cult leader, and, and the dummies, well, people like me and you, we fell in line with the cult. We joined the cult. So so now we're cultist in nature. So our cultist actions, our cultist inclinations, led to an American president. That was elected not not because he's a, a guy who had different ideas and, and different approaches and would maybe break some dishes, uh, maybe overturn the apple cart. No, it was all about a cult. And, and the cult makes it stolen. The cult makes it illegitimate. And, and you know, the cult led to three Supreme Court nominations uh, being on the Supreme Court, and all three are in agreement 
that it's time to overturn Roe v. Wade, not because, I don't know if anybody has said uh, whether they oppose abortion or not. I don't know if you saw this or not, but Susan Collins said that uh, Kavanaugh and, uh, not Barrett, Kavanaugh and Gorsuch, Gorsuch. misled her by saying um, that Roe v. Wade was settled law. Well, everything that comes to the Supreme Court is settled law. It's your job to leave it settled or to unsettle it. I mean, that's why it comes to your doorsteps. That's the reason we have uh, the the end, the last quarter of the game, you know, the last chapter of the book, uh, the last inning of the baseball game. That's why we have a Supreme Court. So everything is settled when it gets there. You, you either leave it settled or, or you unsettle it. And, um, and in this particular case and situation, the Supreme Court chose uh, the, the stolen illegitimate Supreme Court and far right uh, <laughs> chose to um, decide in opposition. And once again, we don't know if this is true or not. Now they've they've authenticated uh, the 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 draft opinion as being real. I mean, uh, you know, Robert said yes, it's his. I mean, it's it's not a um, it's not fake news, so to speak. And but, but uh, it hasn't actually come down as a decision yet. And here, here's what I understand. I asked a buddy of mine yesterday, a lawyer. Uh, they, they, they have the hearing and the proceeding. A couple of days later, they vote. And then they begin preparing whatever remarks they want to include as the record. But they, they vote about three or four days, maybe a couple of days after the hearing. They just give them that period of time to make sure they speak on the record as they choose to speak, whether they dissent or, or in the majority. Take a break. Back in a minute. Give away a couple of tickets. Yeah, let's do that. Here in just a couple of minutes. Uh, let's do it now. Yeah, let's do it. Mike, let's do break. it now. First caller to 843-661-0937 wins a pair of tickets to DeMar's congressional debate at the Francis Marion University Performing Arts Center. 843-661-0937. Back in a minute. 843-661-0937 is our number. So the winner is... Russell Martin. Russell Martin. Um, yeah, two pair down. Got another pair we'll give away before the end of the show, uh, may give away a couple of pair tomorrow to our listeners. Um, now, if you're a big shot and a listener, that's okay. The big shots we think have already been taken care of. <laughs> but if you're a big shot who listens, we certainly don't want to diminish uh, your big shot in this. So um, this is not an insult. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Where are you going with that? I don't have any idea where we're going. David got me goofed up with that. Um, right. Well, that remark he made much earlier, but I know I'm not the only one because I've been informed mm-hmm. that I was not. Um, opinion of or policy toward? I mean, how many of us are frustrated? How many of us Republicans um, are tired of hearing what the opinions of our elected leaders are on immigration and trade and China and uh, and whether it's non-interventionism or not? And I can tell you this, guys, we've not talked much about this, but we are slow walking ourselves into a world war we are i am convinced of it beyond a shadow of a doubt pelosi goes to ukraine there have been some things said by this administration there have been some things said by some of the neocons on the uh, on the right side of the equation um i'm thinking about sam now you know sam and i talk a lot when we're on this particular subject or issue he would be not in the same political camp i'm in the majority of time but i'm telling you trust me we are slow walking hmm. gradually uh, a greater degree of involvement, um, a greater commitment. Um, Pelosi is saying things. Um, Schumer's saying things. 
Uh, McConnell is saying things. I heard Mitt Romney say something the day before yesterday. Um, Joe Biden, uh, you know, you, you can understand what the guy's saying, but um, he'll kind of go where they tell him to go and stand where they tell him to stand. But trust me, trust me, they're, they're, they're trying to gradually, incrementally get you more comfortable with what we are, how much our involvement is today so we be, can become more involved uh, tomorrow. We, we were going to do this last week, and for some reason we didn't. Um, we never did what we said we are going to do. But Leon Panetta was on CNN, and they announced Leon Panetta as, an, you know, just a, um, a decorated uh, former this and a de- former CIA director and national security advisor. They never told you what his current job is. So Panetta's on CNN. And Panetta's talking about weapons. He's on CNN for three minutes and 11 seconds, and he says weapons 20 times. I mean, it's like every eight seconds, weapons, nine seconds, weapons, 10 seconds, weapons. It's weapons and weapons and weapons. And Panetta, you got to believe Panetta, man, because Panetta, I mean, he's a former national security chief. He's a former director of the CIA. I mean, Leon Panetta is gold. I mean, what he says matters. But they didn't tell you that Leon Panetta was working for a consulting firm who represents as their largest client, Raytheon. And what does Raytheon do? And this goes back to the point I try to make about is the media informing you or lobbying you? I can tell you they're lobbying you guys. During the pandemic, Pfizer was spending uh, gobs of money. That's a lot. Uh, gobs of money on you know the, the endorsement or the, the official endorsement by CNN or MSNBC or CBS or ABC, New York Times can't write any negative articles about um, COVID or excuse me the uh, the Pfizer vaccine. Uh, same thing with um with Ukraine and Russia. The same thing is happening right before our very eyes. And when Panetta comes on CNN for three minutes and eleven seconds, can you, I mean do you have that? I mean I, I know we can't do that today anyway. We we got all these technical challenges this morning yeah, that we normally it. don't have. Uh, we can't do that. But anyway, Panetta is on CNN, and the host, um, who was a young female, I mean, imagine that. CNN and Fox have young females who go to the gym two days a week. Um, I don't know how smart they are or how informed they are or how politically literate they are, but they're easy on the eyes, and they know how to read that teleprompter. That seems to be the way you um, <laughs> the way you make it in that business today. Um, and I'm not bothered by it. I mean, it, you know, I get it. I mean, it's entertainment. It's um, Rev gets mad with me, not mad. He gets frustrated with me when I said Fox needs to drop the news. It needs to be the Fox channel. It's not Fox News any longer. Brett Baird does a good job at news. It needs to be. It needs to be Fox opinion. You know, Fox <laughs> um, Fox um, combating the liberal world you don't order. Think Fox and Friends is hard news. Uh, okay, stop. <laughs> Stop. Hey, I they, can't they, reach you to hit you. They, I mean, I really they, wanted to hit you then. They, hey, they give news reports in the morning, interspersed with entertainment. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Um, I think I saw a um, uh, a seal. I don't know if you saw this or not. Yeah, I, I saw on Fox and Friends this morning, a seal um, jumped in a pool on a cruise ship. Don't know how to sh- uh, It's a sea lion, not a seal, a sea lion. Because uh, what's difference in sea lion and seal? Does anybody know? I don't know. What is it, Mike? You're nodding your head. It's real funny, I should say that, and you know the answer. Right. Yeah, that's the funny part. <laughs> you know the difference in a seal and a sea lion? So what led you to the article? That's ESP. <laughs> you, 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 
Well, I mean, join the club. <laughs> yeah. You'll fit right in, uh, rest <laughs> assured. So anyway, a, a seal or sea lion, yet to be determined, uh, gets on a cruise ship and gets in the pool. And he jumps out of the pool and he kind of makes his way to one of these um, chase lounges, you know, that lay around the pool. And uh, the, I mean, the guy's like taking his foot like, no, you're not getting in my chair. Well, the, the, the sea lion or seal um, ends up winning that battle. And I think that the guy got a little bit afraid of uh, it's a sea. I don't know the difference in a sea lion and a seal, though, but it's one or the other. I mean, I know they both bounce balls on their nose and, oh, 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 you know, make these kind of weird noises. Um, <laughs> it's probably pretty accurate. Yeah. Well, I mean, that, somewhat, somewhat. <laughs> they're they're dolphin like in their in their sound. And if that's somebody calling now to say they know what the difference in a sea lion, we're done. Uh, I mean, th- this show has no <laughs> no value whatsoever to the betterment of mankind. <laughs> And society. And because you brought that up, talking about seeing that on Fox and Friends, when you're trying to prove the point that Fox and Friends is not news. Well, I mean, yeah, we, we got um, late breaking news from the cruise ship in the uh, in the Bahamas. Um, you know, a sea lion or seal, one or the other. I don't know which one it was. One or the other um, kind of makes it. Do we have a call? Please, for God's sake, <laughs> tell me this person does not know <laughs> the difference in a sea lion or seal. Because if they do... Uh, we need a week suspension. We don't deserve <laughs> to be on the airways. Who is this and where are you calling from? This is David. I'm in Florence. Okay. Hey, David. Okay. What's... The seal was at He a... does know. He knows. He knows the difference. Uh, I guess on the seal was at a resort in the Galapagos Islands. Okay. I don't know if I said that correctly. Um, we don't either. Because <laughs> the, the ocean is right there on the other side of the well by the pool. So he just walks up and jumps into the pool and gets in the guy's chair and tries to steal his towel on top of everything. But as a seal is smaller than a sea lion. A sea lion's a lot bigger and a, and obviously meaner than a seal. So a seal is a ah, but it's is it a small se- but is it a small sea lion? No, no, a seal is is a smaller animal than a sea lion. Okay, sea lion is a lot bigger and less aggressive. Seal is less aggressive than a sea lion. Okay. So the seal taking the man's chair peacefully could have been more dangerous had a sea lion tried to take the chair less peacefully. If the sea lion was taking the chair, I promise you the fellow would not have walked away. Okay. Oh, wow. Okay. Um, There you go. Um, We have no idea if the caller knows what he's talking about or not. But it sounds good. But we're taking his word at it. That's right. And I guess if you ran into a land lion... To use another term, you know, you, that might not go well, well I mean, for you, you as well. You naturally believe that a, a sea lion is going to be more aggressive than a seal, right? Yeah. I mean, just the, the, the name the sea lion. lion. Yeah, I mean, a, a lion of the jungle, a lion of the sea. Um, I would probably rather encounter a seal than I had a sea lion. 843-661-0937. We're going to take a break. Before we take our break, we've got one more pair. Uh, do we have one more pair? Mm-hmm. we got one more pair of debate tickets tomorrow night, 7 to 9, uh, live on this station, 95.3 and WMBF. Uh, a lot of our listeners have um, said they're interested in attending, so we've got some tickets for our listeners, 843-661-0937. First caller gets a pair of tickets to the debate tomorrow night at the Francis Marion University Performing Arts Center. Back in a minute. 843-661-0937 is our number. Our winner is... David Rass. I didn't mean to interrupt you while you're enjoying your refreshments there, Rev. Rev's earned his keep. I got to get on. He hardly ever does, but he's earned his keep today. I, I think um, Sandy at the at the front desk felt sorry for me, so she made me an iced well, I mean, coffee. Sandy knows that you're normally along for the ride. <laughs>
Right. But today you've really had to dig Everybody in knows that. And, and, and work. Riff told me this morning, hey, man, I probably won't be here long because i got to go out and fix all these things. And I think he worked real late last night. Um, didn't see the Braves lose both games of a doubleheader <laughs> last night. So um, I'll leave you alone. I was going to rag you about your Braves. Yeah. Uh, they'll eventually – they've got a chance to be my Braves, yeah. but they're not my Braves today. They're your and, Braves. You know, they're, they're an after-the-all-star-break kind of team uh, okay. these days. Okay. Right? Yeah, but the, the, the Mets may not be as bad last this year as they were. <laughs> True as they were last year. Hey, one of the interesting things we do, one of the fun things we do and rewarding things we do is allow people who have a genuine interest in helping other people. And a lot of that has been sidetracked and put on the back burner, um, literally and figuratively in this case. But um, Cooks for Christ is back in business, and we know what they do. They've been on our show pretty much since the beginning. And um, you folks have been so kind, so gracious to support what they do. Beverly McKee, is here with us this morning, as she has been, um, except for the last couple of years. You said it's mm-hmm. been about two years since two you guys. Years, yes. And uh, Beverly said, I look older. She didn't say older. She said, I look no, different. No. Right? She almost said older, but then she said, uh, different. You <laughs> different, look down there. You go, different. not, not, not I said different. different. I got a haircut and my nose is all burnt up from too much sun <laughs> this Saturday at the beach. But, but you guys <laughs> are back in the business of finding and identifying people that need help and, and soliciting support on these chicken bog benefits. So what is, I mean, I know why you're here. Let's talk about this um, this most recent case of trying to help someone, who it is and what the problem is. Okay. We are raising money for Michael Sprav. He's 28 years old. He has a one-year-old son. And when he was 15 years old, he was diagnosed with polycystic disease, kidney disease. And in 2000 and, well, when he was 15, He was diagnosed, and then in 2011, he received a kidney. But unfortunately, his body fully rejected it in 2018, so he was placed on the transplant list at the Medical University in Charleston. Um, So he is awaiting a transplant, but the family is actively seeking a kidney from a living donor, and um, they are hoping that, you know, someone will donate a kidney. Um, but we're raising money to help with all of his medical bills. And we found out, or we know this to be true, but we just don't, we, we don't pay it as much attention as we should. When you have a medical situation and your life is completely and totally and fundamentally changed, the rest of the world keeps turning. If it you've does. got a house payment, if you've got a car payment, if you've got kids in college, um, and, and that's what you guys try to do is rally around the reality that while you're dealing with, uh, with your medical condition, that's the least thing, or that's the last thing you need to be worried about is how you're going to make the car payment, how you're going to get your kid enough groceries to buy, and that's where you guys step in. So, Beverly, when? When is this, and how can we make sure it's a roaring success? It's going to be uh, next Thursday, May the 12th, and it's going to be at the fire station on Pine Needles Road. It's unoccupied, but they save it for us for our benefits. And, um, We'll be serving from 11 to 2 and from 4 to 7. And uh, the plates are $10 each. We've had to go up on our price. It's been very difficult. To we, call it the, find... we call it the Biden tax around here. Yeah, we can't. it's very difficult to even find supplies. Mm-hmm. It's been a challenge, but um, we have secured the supplies that we need. But what we do need, Ken, is we need volunteers. It's been two years, and our volunteers, as we all have gotten older, and we have the majority of our volunteers are older individuals. 
and we just we need some new volunteers so i would just appeal to everyone we're having prep day that tuesday the 10th if you could go to the fire station about 8 15 we'll put you to work there we'll work probably till about one o'clock serve you lunch and then you can go home um come to the fire station on thursday at around 8 15 you can come at nine if you want to be a driver we need drivers to get our orders out so i'm just appealing today for the community support and people have got kind of i mean we get in a cycle we get in a routine and that routine is broken and very often we don't go back to what we i mean i think there are a lot of people that are in, inclined to help they've just mm-hmm. kind of got mm-hmm. sidetracked by the last two years being just fundamentally different than the way we lived up until then um you talked about drivers so if someone wants to order multiple plates mm-hmm. is there a number they can order uh is there a phone number they can reach someone at in other words if you're at a business and you want to buy 10 plates or 20 plates or 30 plates and you need to have them delivered mm-hmm. h- help me with that okay well you can just call me at 843-229-0348 and i'll complete a delivery form for you and we'll get it into the system and they need to do to that deliver. by when? when when do they need to let you know by they need to do that by tuesday the 10th okay so mm-hmm. so thursday the 12th at the west florence fire station They've moved the fire station, but you guys are still going to occupy uh, the mm-hmm. former place. It'll be where it always has been. Always has been, Okay, yes. lunch uh, served from 10 to 2, dinner from 4 until 7. As Beverly said, need volunteers. Yes. Need, need folks yes. to step up and really help this very worthwhile cause, helping someone who, once again, is dealing with a medical issue, but also having to worry about all these other things in life that keep coming at you um and if you don't mind one more time beverly your number okay it's 843-229-0348 and we will have a bake sale all day long so you can just come on in the fire station buy your cake or a pie brownies and um you'll be good to go you have your good meal and a good dessert okay good to see you again good to see you and i'm sure we'll get back in the routine uh, with cooks for christ and making sure we at um wake up carolina allow these people to come over the airwaves and um and support you know what they're trying to do i know you um you're, you're a frequent visitor of their... Um, Absolutely. Don't miss it. I'm, I'm glad you're back. And, of course, not only is it a great cause, but, I mean, the, the, the bog is obviously awesome. And the, the organization getting you through, a lot of times there's a crowd and a line, but the way you do the multiple lines of cars going through and serve them up fast and get them on our way, uh, that's a great thing. So glad you're back. Well, thank Good you. Deal. We're glad to be back. Thank you, ma'am. We'll take thank a break. You. We'll be back in just a couple of minutes. <laughs> 